Hello there. Welcome back to the Senate Podcast. This episode, we're going into Attack of the Clones. We're going to do a retrospective. And joining me is the bounty hunter we've all been looking for, Tony Quinones. How you doing? Well, I'm running from these Imperials there. They're trying to, they're trying to find me. I'm trying to make my way in the universe. You're I got a simple man. Avenge my family's honor. Yeah. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. I didn't steal that line from anybody. That's an original. Yeah. You just came up with that on the spot. Yeah. Inspiration. I love it. So this episode, obviously, we're going to be just focusing on Attack of the Clones. But there's been a lot of Star Wars news recently. And I think maybe we could do an episode sometime talking about all the announcements. Because they actually announced, um, what, uh, three or four like new movies? Something like that. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure it's three movies, uh, one of which might not even actually end up getting made because it sounds too good. Uh, and then Star Wars Vision Season 2, and then was that the only show related Ahsoka. to Ahsoka? Yeah, Ahsoka, which I think, you know what, flip me, I think it looks pretty dope. Okay. I want to read those books eventually, so, you know, yeah, that might be fun. This is a series we're doing. We're going to go through everything. Our first episode in this series is out of uh, The Phantom Menace. So now we're going to do Attack of the Clones. Anything else you want to say before we dive into it? Because I just want to do this a little differently than we did the first one. And um, give uh, our overall thoughts of the movie and go through it. But kind of have it more of our own raw opinions of the movie. Because now we're getting into more... Um, you know, more complexity in the saga. The first one was more kind of just set up, set up, but now we're getting it's into a pretty like more, fluffy movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, anything else, anything else you want to say? And then, we can uh, I will say, you know, I try to be, I'm trying to be more open-minded as I get older. Um, I used to hate like a good majority of this movie. Like I thought, you know, all the Obi-Wan stuff was great. And I thought everything else was just terrible. You know what? I'll say now, I think the stuff I hated, I still think it could have been done better, and I'll get into that. But you know what? I don't think it's too bad. So I overall, I I finally like this movie. Like, I just flat out like it instead of being split on it. So that was a fun experience to realize, oh, wow, I I don't see this in the same way that I used to. This was a movie for me that, you know, I have, obviously I have a lot of history with, uh, I grew up with these movies. Uh, I talked in the first episode about how, how much nostalgia I had for the Phantom Menace. And I have just as much nostalgia for this movie. And what's funny is I always go back to whenever I was growing up watching these movies in whatever order I decided, either, you know, one through six. Um, or if sometimes I'd go through four through six and then one through three, I would just, you know, when I went through my Star Wars marathon, I would watch them differently. And Attack of the Clones was always one of my favorite movies to get through, uh, to get to when I was going through my, uh, my walkthrough of the movies or my playthrough of the movies, whatever. And it's because of it feeling like the most serial matinee Star Wars movie out of probably all of them. And I mentioned yeah. that a little bit before we started recording, and and you know what I mean by that. And 
Um, you know, when we start talking about some of the scenes in the movie, I love the action mixed with the, the cliffhanger and, you know, almost the cheesy, uh, cheesy drama tropes in this. It's basically an, uh, a classic noir movie in space. It's, and that's one um, of the things I always yeah. loved about it. It was, uh, you know, from the commentary, he describes this movie as um, being inspired by the great mystery thrillers of the 30s and 40s, mm. which is essentially, you know, half of the movie with, you know, the first two thirds leading up to the, the giant action sequence. But it's always been one of my favorite movies in the saga to watch for a lot of these reasons uh, that we'll get into. So the opening crawl, starting with that. Go ahead. I know you took some more notes than I did because I didn't take uh, much notes for this. I have a lot of mental notes that I want to get through. But how about you kind of lead us on the sequences throughout the movie? So we got the opening crawl into the beginning of the movie where we meet a mysterious bounty hunter and we see what the destruction of that ship, obviously Padme being attacked and the introduction of now a 10 years older Anakin and Obi-Wan from the first movie and whatnot. So what's your thoughts? Cause this takes place 10 years after I have, I have some specific thoughts about this um, sequence that doesn't really involve what's happening on screen. So what do you, what do you think about what we actually see on screen and, you know, from watching it through again? Well, I, in my in the Phantom Menace episode, I said that the opening to that movie, it isn't bad. Like it, I think it's it uh, escalates the tension fairly well, you know, and stuff like that. But it's kind of boring. Like I, you know, it's like oh, we're gonna send these two Jedi Knights to handle a tax dispute. It's like why? Uh, okay, that's the best you could like. I feel bad for these Jedi Knights. They're they're having their time wasted here. But the opening crawl of this movie, you know, it's literally just okay. There are these this group called the Separatists that are people trying to leave the Republic because you know they have problems with it and stuff, and they're forming their own group. So you know, there's a war going on with them, and then uh, Padme is gonna join the senate to vote on whether or not they want to create an army that's it like it's you know as you were saying like that classic like sci-fi serial matinee like yeah there's um there's unrest in the galaxy there's unrest in you the know galaxy. there's war in the galaxy and you know like it's just it's just classic like a new hope you know it starts with like this really simple concise way better in my opinion and then um uh so padme lands on a planet it's her her decoy and is it the same guy that was in Phantom Menace? The I believe so. Yeah. The um, yeah. I I forgot his name, but the, he's the with them too. Captain. Yeah. Yeah. And then they they leave the ship, and then it explodes, and then it's like, oh my god, what the heck? And then uh, her decoy actually dies in the explosion, and then you know you, there's like it's clear that someone tried to kill Padme, and then she goes to visit Palpatine, and and other thing I noted is that the political stuff in this movie is much less boring than it is in Phantom Menace. I understand, yeah. you know, like, what, when these movies released, like, way back, a lot of fans didn't like that they 
focus so much on politics. And it's like behind every war, there's obviously the political side. That's what George Lucas wanted to show with these movies. And I do think Phantom Menace, it's kind of, it's a little boring, a little hard to follow. Even now being, you know, in my late 20s, there were moments in Phantom Menace where I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. But in this movie, you know, Emperor Palpatine, I mean, Chancellor Palpatine at this point is just like, hey, Padme, you know, someone's trying to attack you. You know, we have to deal with these separatists. Uh, and then, you know, Padme thinks it's Count Dooku. And then Mace Windu's like, he used to be a former Jedi. We don't think it's him because he's a genius, obviously. Um, and then Palpatine is like, hey, I insist that Obi-Wan and Anakin be your security guards. And then Padme, you know, at first she's headstrong. She she relents to that request, but then she's eventually like, all right, fine. So, like, it, it picks, you know, like, it moves. We, we only get the bare basics of what we need instead of this whole, like, melodramatic, uh, drawn-out thing. And then, obviously, which actually leads me to my first criticism of the movie, uh, Palpatine insisted that Anakin be part of it, too, because he wants him to get with Padme and fall to the dark side because he senses, you know, uh, high midichlorians and force potential in him. But I was wondering, like, but what would have happened, like... Is the Force literally, like, that much of a deus ex machina to where, like, Palpatine knew for sure that this plan would work? Like, what if Anakin wouldn't have went along with Obi-Wan to protect her? What if Anakin wouldn't have been the one to get sent with her later in the movie when they when they go into hiding? Like, what if certain things would have happened that would have pre prevented this? What would he have done? Like, would he have been, like... Oh, damn it. Well, my plan's ruined. Like, it kind of feels too convenient in some regards. Yeah. And I, my answer to that would be, I don't, don't look at it as the force. Look at this now under the lens of the chosen one prophecy like this. It's unrealistic that these events would happen perfectly. And they do happen the way they happen because they're supposed to. Yeah, true. Um, and then once we get, get to the end of the saga, we'll see how it ends but the, i'd say that's why it happens it's just and more it's, of my issues with the whole prophecy thing being a yeah. element of the story in these movies i'd prefer that it wasn't there but um you know um one thing i do want to note though is that uh in phantom menace anakin's a kid so he talks to obi-wan for like five seconds in the whole movie basically and I feel like that movie should have started with him as a teenager. Well, now he's older, so we can actually have them interact. And I do like that moment where they're taking the elevator and they're recounting and that's where I want to jump in. adventure. Yeah. And then, you know, like, it's like a moment, you know, where they're, like, joking around, laughing, bantering. And I wish there was more of that in these movies. That is definitely a big criticism for me. But I like the moments that we do get it in this and uh, Revenge of the Sith. So here's what I'll suggest to you, and this is exactly where I'm going to jump in, and I'm, I'm so glad you left off there. Read the novelizations of the movies, especially okay. episode two and three. Especially two and three. Um, the novelization of Attack of the Clones actually starts before the movie, you know, starts, and Obi-Wan and Anakin are off on a mission somewhere else in the galaxy. 
before they oh, get called wow. back to okay. Coruscant. And, you know, when they're in the elevator talking, George put that in there because he wants you to get a sense of uh, this is what the Jedi do. They go off into the galaxy on missions. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they kind of reminisce about that. But the novelization actually has them out on a, um, you know, planet somewhere. I don't know if it's outer rim, somewhere else in the galaxy. And you get to read about the internal dilemma that Anakin's going through out in the galaxy. You know, in The Phantom Menace, he was looking out at the stars saying, you know, I'm going to be the first to visit them all. So now he's out there 10 years later as a, a Padawan. And what he's going through is he is missing the people that grounded him. Yes, he was with Obi-Wan and they end up being like brothers. But he's out in the galaxy thinking about his mother, thinking about Padme. And the book focuses on how when he was out in the galaxy, he was actually thinking about Palpatine. Um, and he just wanted that sense of comfort. So it's a further, like, it's a deep dive into what gets um, the attachments Anakin has. And George talks about in the commentary specifically um, how Yoda would train these Padawans to – or tra uh, train the younglings to a certain age until they were old enough to become a Padawan to a Jedi Knight. Anakin skipped that process as we uh, saw in the, the Phantom Menace. Yeah. <clears throat> so – he um, has more of attachment, you know, uh, attachments to certain things and, and people because he didn't get the typical training a youngling and, and Padawan would get. So now he has these attachments to his mother, to Padme, to Palpatine, that those attachments lead to uh, how George put it. Attachments lead to greed because you want to keep what you have. You don't want to lose what you have. Then that greed leads to anger when you lose what you want. And then that anger leads to revenge for taking, obviously, we get, we'll get to that in the story. But this is what the Jedi were kind of uh, teaching their Padawans to let go of, was the fear of losing their attachments. Yeah. So when he's out in the galaxy, he's thinking about Padme, Palpatine. So when we get to the opening of the movie... He meets Padme after 10 years, and that's an awkward scene. But think about uh, this this kid who for 10 <laughs> years has been off on missions. You know what I mean? I and actually back really and like – sees the angel from The Phantom Menace. Yeah. I really like uh, – I think, you know, Hayden's performance has been heavily criticized for over 10 years, you know. I think he's legitimately pretty good in Revenge of the Sith. In this movie, he's hit or miss for me, but the moment where he meets Padme, I think he does a great job because, like, yeah. he just reacts like I would react. Like, you, you know, like, seeing this beautiful woman that I met when I was a kid years later and, like, not knowing. Like, like I love, like, a lot of people say it's cringy, but I love when uh, she says, uh, like, my, uh, you've grown up. And then he's like, oh, so have you. Uh, grown more beautiful, I mean. Like, it's a cringy line. And, like, she just basically takes it like, oh, you're so adorable. But, like, it's, you know, it's, like, yeah. I, like, when I talk to beautiful woman, I say sh shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's a really relatable thing, you know, that, like, makes you relate to him if you're that kind of person. So I think that's one of the moments where 
Hayden really shines in the role. And, yeah. Um, I feel like he, I've said that I feel like he kind of feels different than uh, Jake Lloyd's Anakin in certain ways. Like, yeah, I don't see him as like exactly that kid grown up all the time. But it, in this moment, I feel like that, that they're kind of one and the same. I agree. Um, here we're also introduced for the first time in this movie to Jar Jar, who is kind of at the right hand of Padme. That wasn't the case in the first movie. So you get to see this evolution of Jar Jar's character, oh, which is God. an underrated aspect of this movie. I got something to say about that later. Okay, <laughs> I do I do too, because this is a setup for- um, Not in a positive way either. But, I have a positive <laughs> thing to say about it. So anyways, this is where we're introduced to the, I forget his title, but Jar Jar as the, what, second in command, not second in command, but, you know, he's part of the team um, for Padme. And I wonder if that's why Palpatine, or I guess overall the Separatist, hired the bounty hunter to assassinate Padme. Because Padme was in this movie, right, like you said, to sign a bill to create an army. I was I don't know if the answer was ever given if she would have signed that bill or not. So I'm wondering why the separatists were trying to assassinate her. And what happens is, you know, I'll just kind of um go forward a little bit, is she um tries to get assassinated, ends up leaving for her own safety, and then who steps up? Actually Jar Jar does. Oh Jar Jar, yeah. For the Senate. Um for the uh, voting of the army. So I wonder if that was the reason for her, uh, her, you know, being assassinated or if it was also to get Anakin and her together, like you mentioned, I could see both, both uh -huh. um, aspects of it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just a testament to Palpatine and how intelligent he is. I kind of wonder is, if but... like Palpatine put Jar Jar in that kind of a p position because he knew that he was an idiot. And, and he would say yes. He would make the wrong decision. Exactly. Which, and then, is, which is really yeah. cruel when you think about it. Like, cause like, you know, Jar Jar sees that as like, oh, I finally accomplished something. You know, I redeemed myself from, you know, being a laughing stock. And now I'm in this spot, but he doesn't know the full weight of it. Like, it's actually kind of got, I never thought I'd say Sinister. that I kind of feel bad for Jar Jar, but I kind of feel yeah. bad for Jar Jar. Well, there's a scene <laughs> where um, it's right after... Obi-Wan sends the distress signal to Tatooine and then he tells them to relay it. And then Anakin and Padme relay the message to the Senate. And in the Senate is uh, Palpatine, his people and the Jedi. And what happens is, um, you know, Yoda and Mace are like, wow, that's things there are worse than it seems. We got to go. They start leaving and Jar Jar standing there next to Palpatine. And Palpatine looks at um, what, what's the blue guy's name? I can't remember it right now. Oh, I, uh, I'm blanking. <laughs> but anyways, he turns and he's like, "Wow, if only Padme was here to approve the emergency yeah. bill." Yeah, and then and like it, it pans to Jar, Jar Jar, and then Jar yeah. Jar's like, "Oh, I wonder if I should do something." Which I yeah, mean, so was, I, I've never caught that until watching it back recently. Yeah, that was a respectful thing for him to do, but. It was like right. It was like 
right place, wrong time in a way. It was um, it was a, a perfect planning on on Palpatine's part. But oh yeah, that's just what I wanted to say about Jar Jar real quick. So going back to the bounty hunter, Padme is is asleep, right? And <laughs> Obi Wan and Anakin are standing outside uh, protecting her, and Anakin senses something's wrong, busts in the you know room, kills the things uh, that were trying to kill Padme. You know what I mean? And then jumps out the window grabs onto the uh the droid and essentially the chase scene begins and george in the commentary says that he loves scenes like this he loves racing and he always includes some kind of chase scene or racing scene so here we get a lot of action in coruscant and i don't know if you um noticed the difference that i was talking about last time with how coruscant was depicted in the phantom menace versus um two and three but here we get our first actual close-up of the streets of Coruscant and this uh, action sequence. So what do you think about the bounty hunter? Because the bounty hunter is actually <laughs> a female. And George did that intentionally just to bring some diversity because we're used to – we're not used to that. And it's funny because he's like, wow, usually the bounty hunter is like some – uh, grizzled monster but he's like it's actually some woman but she ends up being a monster underneath she's a changeling so i thought that was yeah. pretty cool uh, we get that scene when obi-wan walks into the bar the guy offers him some death sticks yeah. uh, you don't want to sell me death sticks you want and to he, go home yeah. and rethink your life <laughs> and he made that obviously reminiscent of a new hope the cantina but with obi-wan walking in and, and cutting off the guy's arm that was perfect yes you and mcgregor Throughout the entire prequels, did a great job of channeling, yeah, Sir Alec Guinness. But in this scene, he is Alec Guinness yeah. is Obi Wan, like perfect, like right to a T. Like it's incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. So we get that scene, and um, you know, just the chase scene. There's not much, I guess, story yeah. going on here. It's just a, a great scene. So, what else do you uh, think about the whole course on? sequence oh, here uh okay well first i love i feel like you're saying like it seems like it's portrayed differently i feel like it's just we're just shown another part of it that's like more run down like the slums yeah kind of yeah and like yeah. it's at night um i love it like this is like one of the first instances that i can remember in my life seeing something that was essentially cyberpunk yeah, yeah. It's that like the like the bright lights, the flying cars, the bar that's like not like the cantina because it's like populated. They're like people watching sports on TV. You know, they're like the strippers and stuff like that. I all I love the aesthetics of that. So before I talk about what I think of uh, Django's whole plan here, because I got some stuff to say about this whole plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to point out two small moments. So when Padme is talking to Obi-Wan and Anakin um, about, like, talking about, you know, like, protecting her and stuff and, like, what they think is going on, I forget, like, Obi-Wan saying something and then Anakin jumps in and then Obi-Wan is just, like, a total dick in this scene. Like, he's like, you will learn your place, young one. 
You know, like that. All that same Anakin, thing happens like, at the end of the movie as well. It seems like this is the first instance of Anakin being like disrespectful to Obi Wan, and instead of Obi Wan, you know, like a like a proper master would do, say, "I'll talk to you about this later." He just like berates him like an angry dad in front of people and embarrasses the poor dude. So like, I feel like. I wonder if that was intentional by George to show that Obi-Wan wasn't like really fit for being a master and just kind of had to fly by the seat of his pants kind of thing. I think this you was know? to set like, up. Yeah. He didn't react in a way that like, I like, I don't feel like Qui-Gon would have reacted that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Um, I think that shows, yeah, how Qui-Gon would have handled it differently. Yeah. Because Obi-Wan's just, um, Obi-Wan felt that, I don't think, I think Obi-Wan felt that he wasn't ready for this, but he did it because it was Qui-Gon's basically dying wish. Yeah. Was for him to do it, but he wasn't ready. So then this plays into when they're on Tatooine after his mother dies and he says uh, he wasn't powerful enough because Obi-Wan and the Jedi are holding him back. And he, you could see him start to blaming, start blaming people, Yeah, you yeah. know. And this, you know, obviously what you're saying right there kind of leads into that. Okay, and then but, two, yeah. I love, I, I forget, like, when Padme walks away, I forget, I think, isn't Obi-Wan, like, like, saying to him to, like, relax and stuff, like, he's, or, like, something like that, and then um, he's like, but she was pleased to see us, you know, I'm like, yeah. I, I love that moment, because it's like, yeah. Obi-Wan knows how Anakin feels, and I feel like he was like, she was pleased to see us, eh? Eh? Yeah. Eh? you know. Like, I feel like that would like they play off each other. So, very like, well. I feel like Obi Wan's pretty layered in this movie because, like, he has moments where he is genuinely an asshole, but then he also has moments where you know he's like a playful dad. You know, like it's cool. Yeah, I think um, he shines when they play off each other, and then I think he also. I mean, he just what a bona fide actor, honestly, and yeah. He, he, um, he plays Obi Wan perfectly, and you you get to see him really stretch his, you know, his legs when he gets off on his own shortly because he finds the dart, that poison dart, and he takes it real quick. He takes it to um, Dexter Jetster, <laughs> <laughs> the greatest character in the whole saga. He takes it to <laughs> the absolute greatest character in Star Wars at this diner, which is. <laughs> A nod to, uh, what do you say? It was a nod to, um, um, what's his other movie before this? American Graffiti. American Graffiti. He says it was a nod to that with the diner and just the whole oh. aesthetic of it, um, which was cool. I think it yeah. fit. That was like we just said that the we got to see the slum side of course not. Now we're seeing maybe like the, um. How do you want to put that that aspect of Coruscant where it's it's more light? You don't see the dark. You know, you get the imagery of this might be like not a downtown, but like more of a like suburban section of this. Yeah, where it's like, oh, here's a diner. You know what I mean? Where you would go to have breakfast. It's just cool to see it, and he takes the dart there for some reason and ends up getting answers that where um, it's a Kaminoan dart that might not be in the archives um with yeah, the, yeah. at the temple the jedi temple and then this is where like i said obi-wan really gets to 
um, be on his own and kind of carry things on his own shoulders for a while until we're introduced yeah. to Django, which we'll get to. But okay, the, so yeah, oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say this is where they separate. Um, oh yeah, yeah. This is where um, Obi Wan goes, and now he has to figure out what's going on with this assassin assassination attempt. And Anakin is tasked with bodyguarding um, Padme, so he takes her to her home planet of Naboo, which we see again. And I could I could keep going. So this is where they split up. So we'll leave it there. Uh, what were you gonna say? No, I. I wanted to kind of jump back and talk about Django's plan. Um, yeah, go ahead. So Django's plan, Django, buddy, I love you. Your plan sucks. This plan. So, okay. So Palpatine, I think I got this right, but I'm still not even sure what even happens here. Palpatine asked him to assassinate Padme. So he asked another bounty hunter to assassinate Padme. And then that bounty hunter sends a droid to assassinate Padme. And then that droid sends little worms to assassinate yeah. Padme. Why didn't Django just fly over to Padme's window, pull out his rifle, we know he's a good shot, and just, like, try to shoot her, and then maybe if somehow If you want it done misses. right, do it Like, this is the most convoluted plan for no reason, because all that rigmarole adds nothing. Like, it's... George talked about this. Oh, what do you say? It's so stupid. Like, it's like... One of the things about this movie that I still can't see in a different way. Like, I'm just like, no, but it, like, I don't understand any of this. See, this is, <laughs> this is, um, one of the downfalls of Star Wars in general is that George really went unchecked and did whatever he wanted to do. <laughs> I know at the beginning of the commentary, he talks about how he added so much to all of these sections that we're talking about now because. He just wanted to. He just wanted to add more action, more drama. He just more, more, and more at the expense of the story. But I, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, it would have been cool to just, see. That's you know what? We did see Django, right? Wasn't Django on Coruscant? And didn't he like fly away at the end? He did. He killed. He killed the changeling because the changeling was being yeah, yeah. interrogated he by with the, the Jedi. Dart, yeah. And then they look over, and then he flies away. Why didn't he do that to Padme? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Like, it's so... And then, like, okay. Obi-Wan and Anakin somehow slice the worms off of Padme's face, and they don't make contact with her at all. I love and that. And somehow, like... That's absurd. That doesn't even it. wake her up. Like, she doesn't wake up in the yeah, middle of that. Out. She only wakes up when they're all done. Like Plot twist, oh Anakin roofied her. Jet lag. <laughs> she was just out. Like, that's the most severe case of jet lag I've ever seen. Damn. <laughs> well, I love I do love that scene just to go back to that real quick because that shows how how Anakin really dialed into his force abilities in sensing exactly yeah. how to kill those things without hurting Padme because of how much he cared for her. So I love I do love that scene, but I know it's absurd. It's pretty interesting that when Anakin and Obi-Wan are talking while she's sleeping, it's just like one line Obi-Wan mentions that he doesn't trust politicians like He's telling Anakin to not really trust Padme because politicians can't be trusted. And I'm like, I wonder if there's like any expanded universe stuff that fleshes that out more because I never noticed it. And I don't feel like it, I don't remember it ever being brought up in anything that I've seen. Like Obi-Wan not liking politicians. Like, I wonder what the deal is with that. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And just going off of the movies, maybe it's um, the Jedi are supposed to be, they're not employees for the Senate or, you know what I mean? They're, yeah. the Jedi are their own group. They're not supposed to be the peacekeepers for the Republic. You know what I mean? But they end up becoming that, which I think is, you know, they get into why that is not supposed to happen, but the Jedi go down that route. So I don't know. I think Obi-Wan is just, that's showing how Obi-Wan is um, similar to Qui-Gon in that way to where he doesn't want to be involved with the politics or anything like that. He wants to be a Jedi, a tr you know, not a, tr like a yeah. true Jedi, but he just wants to be more of a Jedi than an employee for the Senate, uh, I would assume. Um, so yeah, they end up splitting at this point. And I think it's cool to see Anakin leave with uh, Padme you get to see him go and under like undercover a little bit. They get on that ship and um... he actually isn't. I've heard, I saw a YouTube video uh, by Chris Stuckman. I don't know if you know how that is. I don't he, like, think so. He posed a valid question. If Anakin and Padme are supposed to be like in hiding, but why does Anakin still like outwardly wear his Padawan braid? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Anybody who knows anything about anything would be like, oh, he's a jet, he's a Padawan. Like, and like, they're always outside. When it's like, she could get sniped at any given moment. <laughs> and then my, one of my problems with this is that when Padme's packing and Anakin's talking to her, at first, like, you know, like, they're just making like regular conversation. And then he just starts bitching. Like, he just go, like, he's just like, oh, Obi-Wan's holding me back. And this and that. And then, I mean, there's that moment where Padme is like, well, sometimes our mentors can see our flaws better than we can. That's how we grow. And then Anakin's like, I know. So he does have a moment where like, he's self-aware. Like, I know I'm, you know, like he kind of chills out a little bit, but it's like, I mean, I understand. It's that like, child he, in his character. Yeah, yeah. But I, I feel like maybe it was a little too strong, too fast. Kind and I of. think that's where it comes into the amateurness of Hayden Christensen at the time, because he was almost unknown up to this point, you know? Yeah. So here we get to the second act of the movie. We talked about the first one with the introductions and the chase scene, the bounty hunter, setting up what would be the rest of the movie. So with this second act, we split into two um, uh Storylines, plot threads, Obi-Wan going down his, like, detective path uh, to find the bounty hunter, and then Anakin and Padme's relationship developing slash going to Tatooine. What route do you want to go down first? Actually, you know what? I've had, I've had kind of a new thought process about the Padme... Anakin stuff, so I think it, it, it'd be fun to talk about that last. Okay. So, well, let's talk about what we can, I think we can both agree is the best part of the movie. Obi-Wan being a private yeah. detective. It's great. Obi-Wan Obi and Django. I love Django. Um, oh, yeah, Django. Just real quick, cool. I'll talk about him. Yeah, growing up, uh, me and my one friend loved Star Wars. He was a huge Boba Fett fan. I was always a huge Django fan. I just love Django. I think he looks 
cool with the silver and the blue, the yeah. dual pistols, the flamethrower on the wrist. Love I it. love that little touch, too. Like, he he gave uh, his DNA to the Kaminoans to create the clone army for money. But he asked for an unaltered clone so he can have it as a son. You know, so it wasn't that like makes to be you like wonder, that. like yeah. that like makes you wonder, like right there. You can assume a lot about Django, like may, like maybe he's always kind of wanted kids, but he can't have kids, or maybe he's never been able to find a woman, or maybe he had a woman and she died. So then he's like, the only way that I can have a son and have that want that I have that thing that I want is for it to just be myself. And that's interesting. And, a, yeah. and it's not like, you know, like shoved in your face that much. It's just like one line. Like, oh, yeah. The, the, the only thing he asked in return is for a clone for himself. And that's, and then, like, we know that he yeah. loves Boba. Like, you know, like he's looking out for him and stuff. Boba helps him out. You know, like he warns him, you know, when Obi-Wan's coming, he help he uh he, he's in the ship cannon like firing at obi-wan you know protecting his dad like there's such great storytelling just with that and it's subtle and that's i like it's, why that's i don't why feel like the, the prequels are subtle yeah. enough but when when they do have subtle storytelling i think it's some of the best stuff in the saga in my opinion i agree okay so we skipped a little bit and that's fine because I want to go into a little bit of what you just said and kind of tie it all together. So here we go. Boba Fett, George wanted originally Boba Fett to be an exact clone that just veered off the path of the other clones, like we see with something mm -hmm. like the Bad Batch or or Rex or something, if you watch Clone Wars Season 7 and, um, you know, something like that. It wasn't until because because George had this story, he had the plot done back in the seventies. Now it's his job to create the story in each chapter. He said he sees it as twelve hours of a story, um, six chapters, two hours each. That's how he described it in the commentary. He said that you know Boba wanted he wanted Boba to be a clone of Django that just split off, but it wasn't until right before when they were creating the story of this that he thought that making uh, Boba an unaltered clone of him and being his son gave uh, Django more character. And I, I, I love that decision. So you, that uh, I think is really interesting. I think George, I think that's one of the best aspects of this because I, I actually put on Twitter today that the, C, the um, prequels are not something that was made after the fact. You know, this, the prequels were made in the beginning with everything else. So this is one true story that George just created along the way with more advancements and whatnot. So he had and, the rough ideas for the prequels way back when? Yeah. Originally, wow. yeah, originally it all started with the Clone Wars, and that's the next thing I want to get into. Huh. This movie is where George really could take off with the clones, which he had the idea for from the very beginning. And it's referenced in A New Hope is the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars yeah. is, he, as he puts it, the start of the Empire. And we see later with these clones, they have the same ships as the Empire. Obviously, they look the same. And this is where he could develop how 
a democracy turns into a dictatorship. So he says that he has an, um, a larger story to where this, like I said, a democracy turns into a dictatorship and how you can see um, democracy fall. And then he has the more personal story developing with how you can see a good person become bad. So yeah. this is where the story really, really picks up. And he uses Django and Boba to do that. So to what you said about Django and, you know, if there's more material on him out there, there actually is. I'm not sure what the book's called. Probably something Bounty Hunters. Um, there's comics, there's books, and it goes into Django's past into why they picked him as the, the template for the clone army. And I think that's just cool uh, for a character in general, just as a trope, like that you're creating a clone army and you want to pick the quintessential person to clone. That's like picking David Goggins to clone yeah. for an army. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, I, have, <laughs> I have a question. Maybe we'll get into it later. Who was Sifo Diaz? Because I still um, don't understand yeah. what's going on with that. Exactly. It's, man, it's been it's been a minute since I I went through all that. So that George says that that question gets answered in the next movie. You're you're talking about regarding the creation of the clone army. Yeah, because the Kaminoans yeah. say that like Sifo Diaz yeah. asked them to create the army, but then when Obi Wan talks to Django, he's like, "I don't know any Sifo Diaz. I was recruited by a man called." Tyrannus. Tyrannus, yeah. which is Count Dooku, as we later find. So I'm wondering, so like, because I think I've heard that like Sifo Diaz was a name that Count Dooku was using, but then I guess in between then and then he became Palpatine's apprentice and then changed his name and then started using a different name. Like, I. No, it's a little Sifo Diaz weird. is. Um... <laughs> How do I put this? I'm trying to remember because I believe they go into it in a book called Dooku Jedi Lost that um, Dooku, when he was growing up, um, you know, within the Jedi Order, he was close friends with somebody named Sifo Diaz. Oh, and, so Sifo uh, Diaz was a actual Sifo person. Sifo is an actual person. Oh, okay. Um, unless I'm getting that mixed up with something. Like I said, it's been a little bit since oh. I've um, looked into this. But for the point I of this story... I think they mention... I think Yoda and Vase Windu actually bring that up later on. Somebody does. Yeah, I think Obi-Wan is shocked when he hears that because yeah, he he's mentions like, to... Sorry, yeah, sorry, like he mentions to them... Yeah, like he mentions to them that uh, the clones were created by Sifo Diaz and then Vase Windu, I think, is like, Sifo Diaz is dead. Yeah. Basically. Okay. So basically you can um, just get from this though, that there was a section of the Jedi that kind of veered off. And I, that's kind of what I was talking about in the Phantom Menace retrospective with Qui-Gon, how he didn't veer off as much, but he was alongside the Jedi. So you have this um, small contingent that did veer off and they get into that in books like Dooku Jedi Lost. Um, and they might get into it in Master and Apprentice as well, but um and maybe Plagueis, but Dooku, Dooku basically left, got into, got in league with Palpatine, right, and the Separatists. Palpatine ordered this clone army to start being created 10 years ago. I'm assuming he started 
the clone army as soon as he became the chancellor at the end of the Phantom Menace because this takes place 10 years after. So I'm assuming as soon as he um, became chancellor, he ordered this army to be created through um, other, you know, through other means. He doesn't do it himself. He always gets people to do his bidding yeah. for him. You know, that's how he does it. So George describes it as Mussolini, as Hitler, as Caesar. It's when democracies or, you know, republics, they're in a time of crisis and they give emergency power to somebody to become, um, you know, in charge, a dictator or whatever, because it's a time of crisis. They need someone to lead them. And then you see how the ultimate power corrupts and they are unwilling to give up that power. And George, you know, a quote from him from the, the commentary is, this isn't the first time we see a dictator starting a war so that he doesn't have to give up his power. And he's obviously referring to real life events, but that's essentially what's happening throughout the last 10 years. There's been nothing but conflicts because 10 years goes by and he's still the chancellor because there's been um, skirmishes throughout the Republic. And if you think about it, that's what also kept Padme in power because essentially if she's queen by this time, she would have retired 10 years later and she could have moved on with her life. She could have had a family. She could have had kids. But she has stayed queen for this long because of the conflict in the galaxy, which then also plays into her meeting Anakin at this point. So, Well, she isn't a queen in Attack of the Clones. I think she's a senator now, right? Yeah, so she, she gives up being queen, becomes senator. Yeah. But, yeah, she um, would have been retired at this point. But since all this is going on, she wants to be there for her people um, because of the constant conflicts that's going on. So then she ends up leaving with Anakin. So Obi-Wan wants to track down Django, getting back to this thread. He goes yes, to... The, sorry for veering us off on a big tangent. That's what this is about. We just <laughs> we get into our thoughts and opinions, and I'll give you as much information and backstory that I can think of right now. Um, okay. It's good. So he goes to the Jedi Temple. He goes to see... Oh, what's her name? Uh, what's her name? Oh, cr uh... Oh, what's her name? Help me. I'm going to just look up Attack Who of the Clones. Who can get it faster, you or me? Old lady in library. <laughs> Freaking. I can't. I'm thinking of so old, much right now. Old lady in library. Uh, Jocasta <laughs> New. Jocasta New, yeah. I never okay, even so knew she, that she had a name. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jocasta New. I like this scene. Cause like it's it's great, yeah. It kind of feels like a political thriller, a little bit where like somebody's like trying to find some classified information, and then you know like they ask like an official about it, and then they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, and then Obi Wan's like, No, I know this planet's real, and then she's like, The archive here has every piece of information you could ever want, so if if it's not in our records, then it don't exist, homie. And then it's like, dun, dun, dun. You know, like, what's going on? Why does it exist? Why are they trying to hide a whole planet? What? Like, it's a it's a great scene of, like, making you curious, you, you know, because it's, like it's like a mystery noir thriller. So it's, like, it's so it good. like strings the audience along with questions. So then good. he he doesn't get the answers from Jocasta New, and he what does he do? He goes to Yoda, 
And here is where we actually see what George was saying and showing in the other movies where um, Yoda trains the younglings. So we get to see the younglings for the first time in training with Yoda. I love I, – this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Are these – For multiple reasons. Are those like pod racing helmets that they're wearing? It looks like it. I don't know. It looks like just the helmet that um, Luke had on <laughs> New Hope. It's probably a th- uh, callback to that. Um because they're, I think they are deflecting things, right? Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'll call back to that. So it's funny because Obi-Wan, that's how Obi-Wan trains Luke in A New Hope. And he I got have an that opinion about that. So just bookmark that little bit and then try to remember it when we talk about A New Hope. Because it's a small okay. thing, but it's one of my things about how George retconned things that didn't yeah. really need retconning. But yeah, whatever. It's not, it's a small thing. So we, he goes to Yoda, and I love Yoda in this movie. I'll say so much more about him at the end. But I love right Yoda here, being all cheeky. He's like, Obi-Wan yeah. lost a whole planet. Of, I was and just then, about to say that. And then the children start laughing. It's like, oh, Yoda got jokes, huh? Yeah. Which and, we see in Return of the Jedi, too, when he jokes. He says to Luke, like, yeah. when you're up 100 whatever, look this good, you won't, or something like that. <laughs> like, like. Like, I love that Yoda, he's mostly, like, you know, like, really stoic and wise, but he has other aspects to his personality that show sometimes. I think that's really cool. Like, yeah, like George it prevents him from off. being a static character. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what he accomplishes in this movie because George says that he doesn't want him to just continue to talk in fortune cookie terms, like short sentences. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, of just why you know uh, wise you know phrases and, and parables whatever uh, he gave him uh, personality which he has always had and he did reference Return of the Jedi like yeah you just did and he pulls it off perfect in this scene with the younglings because he just starts joking on Obi Wan in front of the kids and the kids start laughing at Obi Wan. The other thing I love about this scene too is that like in in like another kind of movie that's in this genre it would have been obi-wan goes to yoda you know and he's by himself and then yoda exposits what he needs to know and then obi-wan's like oh thanks master yoda and then he leaves but because obi-wan shows up at yoda's class yoda uses the younglings to help obi-wan figure it out you know what i mean like yeah he like brings up shows how wise he is hologram and then and then he's like oh yeah, and then Obi-Wan's like, yeah, the, the planet should be here. And then um, Yoda's like, oh, the planet should be there, but it's not. So kids, what what could that mean? And then the one kid's like, somebody erased it from the archive. Like, it's a fun way to, like, still, like, Yoda had his class interrupted, but he still uses them to, like, learn something and, like, use their brains you know what i mean like it's a yeah it's a fun little twist on you know a kind of scene that is you know like really standard and stereotypical yeah and if you like if if you're the type of person or you know whoever is the type of person that just doesn't like the the um you know star wars or the movie you know if you watch these movies moments like this make the movie worth watching because how could you just not enjoy it? You know, enjoy it. It's just fun. Yeah. Like George says, it's the movie is the movies for kids. It's, it's, it's fun. 
even though there's a lot of, especially in the prequels, is there's a lot of serious <laughs> topics, political, you know, emotional, a lot of violence. So at this point, Obi-Wan goes to that sector uh, where the planet should be. He, he gets into his Jedi Starfighter, which we see. I don't know if it's the first time, but I actually really like his Starfighter. It's red and yeah. like gray. I, I like that ship a lot. I think it's, I don't think it's... Um, That's the one he uses in Revenge of the Sith too, right? Yes. I don't... I love how I his uh, droid looks too. I just think it's... Oh, cool. uh, <laughs> R5? I think it's yeah. R5. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm I'm partial to the X-Wing. I love the X-Wing. If I could be in any ship, it'd be an X-Wing. Jedi Starfighter. Oh, yeah, the cool sound though. it makes and everything. It's iconic. I love it. <laughs> iconic. So... He uh, heads to Camino, and I believe George said that he has always wanted to do a fully water planet. I and love Camino, just, oh, so good. And <laughs> he, so he talks cool. about now, obviously, with the VFX technology, um, he could do something like this. And he talks about the jump from Episode Six to Episode One was like going from he quotes quote him zero to eighty with the learning curve, mm. but then going from one to two was like going from eighty to ninety with the learning curve. So. He was able to do a lot more in this that he said he always imagined in his wildest dreams, but now he could actually do because of ILM's magic, you know? So we see Camino, all water planet, awesome, with the cool alien-like creatures. This is another aspect of the movie where you you just got to love – you just have to love Attack of the Clones for the some of the crazy things that it does with – the places you go. I was thinking about in each Star Wars movie, all the different planets you go. In Attack of the Clones, they go a lot of different places. We see a lot of Corsa. Uh, yeah. We see that cool um, lake on Naboo, which I want to get into. We see Camino. We we see Geonosis. We see Tatooine again. It's awesome. I think the movie is incredible. We have an amazing space fight that we're going to talk about because it we can get into it. But he shows up to Camino um, and the Keminoans are like, it's been 10 years. We were expecting what Master Sifo-Dyas has been 10 years. This is where it really becomes a new war. Yeah, dude. Like, like Obi-Wan kind of channeling Qui-Gon because in Phantom yeah, Menace, yeah. Qui-Gon, you know, he like, he was really clever and sly and like, you like, he knew how to weasel his way in like any situation, you know, like he was great at improvisation and stuff. And then, I love that there's that moment where, like, when they say that, Obi-Wan's, like, like he doesn't know what's happening, but then he's just quickly, like, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, my master sent me to ask about the army. Like, you know, like, yeah. he has to think on his feet and stuff, and it's a great, you know, like, as much as the prequels are about Anakin, you know, like, growing and becoming a Jedi master and stuff, I think they're also a great uh, coming of age story for Obi-Wan and showing yeah. that he still has some growing that he has to do, you know, when it comes to being a Jedi and stuff. And this is basically that moment for him. I love it. I think him on, um, you know, Camino, such a great sequence in the movie. So he's going through looking at the clones, you know, wow, these clones are impressive where is the person you know that there was a template for these clones 
she says, well, he's living here and he wants to go meet him. So he walks in and I love this exchange when he walks in the room because I'm going to say what I think. And it's exactly how George puts it. As soon as he walks into the room, he knows that this is the bounty hunter. And as Django knows, as soon as this Jedi walks in, he knows that this is the Jedi that's looking for him. So that's why he, yeah. uh, what does he say? He says in a, in another language to his son something. And it's like, okay, they found us. Yeah, dude. Get the things. We're leaving. Even Boba, even before Obi-Wan <laughs> walks in the door, when Obi-Wan knocks on the door and Boba opens it and he asks who he is and stuff. And then he's like, oh, I'm a Jedi. I'm going to talk to your dad or whatever. Boba has he this knows. look on yeah. his face immediately. Yeah. Like, he's sus. He's sus. I got to go tell my dad about this. This is weird. I don't like what's yeah. going on here. So, like, it shows that, you know, from the from childhood, Boba Fett was always, you know, like, having to be street smart, having to think on his feet. Yeah. You know, like, it's a really subtle moment. Again, that s subtle s storytelling that I love about the prequels. I think, yeah, I think this is so underrated, this uh, whole sequence, and especially what comes next because basically he leaves and he, um, they get into a fight. And, you know, fast forward a little bit, they are... Um, Obi-Wan has to stop the bounty hunter, right? So he, him and Jango start fighting. You, This is where George gets to show off the um, the Boba-type character, which is obviously Jango in this, in, you know, um, a better way than he could have back in the day. In I love the this Jedi. fight, dude. The fight is so good. And it's what's funny is he held back because he didn't want to show off everything just yet. So I don't think he uses the rockets or the flamethrower or whatever. He does use he uses the jetpack, the grappling hook, the guns, and he's fighting against a Jedi. So we get to see, you know, it's not Luke versus Boba, which is not a good fight. But we get to see yeah. Obi-Wan versus Django. Fight's amazing. Dude, we Obi -Wan... need more hand-to-hand -hand fights in Star Wars. Where are the hand-to-hand -hand fights in Star Wars, huh? Huh? George specifically mentions that he wanted to make it hand to hand because it's something you would never expect like seeing a jedi how many star and wars movies have we had in total this is the only yeah. one as far as i remember except for solo which it makes sense for that movie <laughs> yeah. that has a hand-to-hand -hand fight come on come yeah. on i'm starving over here it was so good <laughs> it was so good just the way they pulled off and obviously you had slave one in the background iconic ship and when you see Slave One, you know that it's about to something's about to pop off. So it's yeah. funny you get to see um, you get to see Boba as a kid piloting Slave One, iconic iconic ship. Uh, anything else you want to say about this fight, real quick? Because we got to get into the space portion. Obi Wan's jump kick is oh, iconic. Icon like it's just so, like yeah. you know, Django like flies in the air, and then Obi Wan's like, I don't think so. <laughs> like it's just such a great <laughs> you know like visual. I can't say it's a visual gag, but it is kind of shot like one in a way, but it's not in a bad way, but like, it's just something like, I'm sure like people watching this movie for the first time when it released were like, did Obi-Wan just do a flying kick? Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those things. Like I could tell that when George was writing this scene, he was just having an absolute blast. Like, huh, it'd be funny if Obi-Wan did a flying kick. I'm going to write that. <laughs> And I, I love it. And that's one of the reasons that I say it's 
one of the most serial matinee uh, movies out of all of them because what's essential in that type of movie or, you know, style is the constant cliffhangers that happen. And that happens throughout all of the action sequences in this movie where Boba has the upper hand, cliffhanger, what's going to happen? And then something happens and, oh, Obi-Wan now has the high ground. He has the advantage. He cliffhanger, what's going to happen? And then Boba comes back or um, uh, Django comes back, whatever. You know what I mean? So it's all that yeah. constant back and forth of who, you know, who has the upper hand. And it, it's played out to the extreme until they get into the ship. And what's funny is what happens when he gets into the ship? Django hits his head. You know what I mean? You know that part? I don't, I don't know if I remember. It's so dumb, but <laughs> Django hits his head. And it is actually a callback to, what is it, A New Hope, where the stormtrooper hits his head. Uh. And George specifically put that in because he's like, you know, oh, this helmet. I think it's probably it's probably hard to see out of the helmet. So it's maybe a maybe it was a trait that the stormtroopers got from uh, from Django. Like, is that really what he a, said, or is that just what you think? Uh, that is quote quote. I can pull it up right now. But dude, that doesn't make any. Okay, George, buddy. When Luke when Luke said I can't see in this. Well, I think from what I've heard, actually, that was Mark Hamill like saying that like he genuinely couldn't see but it worked in that moment because they stole stormtrooper outfit so of course you know it wouldn't the measurements wouldn't be 100 percent. why would Django be wearing this armor that was custom made for him and he can't see out of the helmet that's, all because he wanted to do a callback yeah. like come on what so <laughs> so he thought it would be funny. He's like, cause just looking at it, he's like, yeah, it's probably hard to see out of that. And it is. So I think that's just hilarious. It, it's just the fun of, it's the fun of these movies. It's, you know, what a callback that, that little bump. So then we go into the space portion, which is a huge callback to empire. I think retroactively, this makes empire more interesting to me when I watch it because yeah. uh, he obviously as Obi-Wan puts the tracker on slave one, follows it into space and they get into a battle, right? I believe they Some get into the, a battle over yeah. Genosis. Yeah, it's basically so, like you know, like them like chasing each other and then I love the sound design. Oh, of course. When uh Obi-Wan fires the thing, it's like like it like like it's like silent and then it's like I can't replicate it, but it's so good. So this is one of those yeah. Obi-Wan like hiding behind the asteroid and yeah. then when Django flies away he starts pursuing it like I like you know that like, happens exactly in Empire with Slave 1 so what's funny is I just, I got to cut in what's oh, yeah. funny is Boba was in Slave 1 in Attack of the Clones when Obi-Wan did this and what he does the exact same maneuver to find and follow and catch the Falcon in Empire and mm -hmm. it's not just with the hiding in the asteroid it's a lot of other aspects of this space battle where yeah. obviously George was copying exactly what he did in Empire in Attack of the Clones, but he does that because Boba is a is a child and sees how Obi Wan does that, and then in turn uses that knowledge in Empire. If you're talking about in context of the story, to catch the the Falcon, yeah, love it. It's basically like uh, it it like reminds me of Arkham Knight when like you're like riding in the Batmobile and you could like make it like crawl on these legs and like 
quietly walk around. Like it, mm-hmm. it's like weird seeing like this large vehicle being stealthy, but like it's such a creative thing. Yeah. You know, like he's flying a ship, but he could still manage to like be stealthy. Like it's just you know, like a such a weirdly port. designed ship too. Yeah. But in terms of the design, he, this is another moment like in the Phantom Menace with the pod racing where there was no music and he really just let the sound design take over and have a huge impact. I mean, with all these movies, there's so much diversity between the the soundtrack, the music, this like the score, the the VFX, the the sound effects, um, the styles of of filmmaking, the different styles he uses, the dialogue the exposition i mean there's so much diversity and i think a lot of it for i think for a lot of people a lot of it doesn't pay off but personally i love this style i love georgia's style i love the whole blending of ideas even star wars it's a science fantasy genre because fantasy it involves magic and monsters and, and mythical creatures science fiction is more of like a star Trek with futuristic you know advanced yeah. type of technologies star wars blends both of them and it's it's i i love it and i think i think a lot of people get caught up in the blending of genres blending of techniques and styles and ideas i love it and i you know yeah me too i just love it so we get to what this is the um the space battle he ends up getting away and traveling and um uh, landing in, in Geonosis. So before we wrap up um, the Obi-Wan section, anything else you want to say? And then we'll jump into Padme and Anakin. Uh, oh, about, wait, let me find my about notes Obi-Wan. about, about Geonosis. Uh, okay, so for Geonosis, like for the other world, the other planets we've visited in this movie so far, they've all been like, you know, like creative and cool. Geonosis is just like a, a planet-sized Grand Canyon. Like it's nothing. It's not you know. It's not bad, but like Do you know, a what few it is? things that I, a few things that I like. Uh, you know, like all the you know people sitting at the table having the, the, the meeting and like you know speaking their various languages. I do love that. I yeah. love the like robot dude that like that like yeah. speaks in that weird way that's oh, like the tech techno droid something yeah it's like, like wow yeah. wow 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 you know and like it's it just slowly such, like, turns into like english yeah it's like another thing like george writing this i imagine maybe he had at least one draft where it was just like you know like aliens speaking english or other languages you know and that's it but then he's like what if i what if i had a guy who who was like a machine and he like spoke like in like you know static language that'd be that'd be interesting you know and then he just did it and it's like i love you i love you like i got problems with you but i i freaking love you i want you to be my grandfather um yeah so (laughs) hold on uh before we because let's start geonosis um for act three but obi-wan lands on geonosis and what i will say is geonosis actually i never realized this until listening to the commentary geonosis is a callback to Flash Gordon because you know it's um it's like a hive mind for the um bug type creatures and when you see the the wall that's just I do I do love those the, yeah yeah the the bug creatures just come out of the wall and he said that he did that specifically to call back to Flash Gordon with the rock creatures coming out of the wall 
um, which George always wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. Yeah. So obviously the callbacks are there. If it wasn't for so Flash Gordon and him not Star being Wars. able to make a Flash Gordon movie, we wouldn't have Star Wars. As that I'll probably true. say a few more times, but I'm just really thankful <laughs> that that happened. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, – that's the end of the Obi-Wan section. He arrives on uh, Geonosis. And that, obviously, it's going to tie into the Padme Anakin story. But we'll go back now to when Padme and Anakin um, arrive on Naboo. Because, obviously, he's bodyguarding her. She's, you know, uh, going to get assassinated. So she needs a Jedi that's there to protect her. And, of course, it's Anakin they arrive on Naboo. It's this is an interesting um, place because George said he actually visited there on vacation one time, saw the lo- like the actual lake that was there in um, Spain, and wanted to shoot there. Is that where he shot it in Spain? Yeah, I believe so. Naboo was shot. Oh, no. Everything for Naboo was on location in Spain. Oh, yeah. wow! Really? Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Really, really interesting planet. It's it's. I love the visuals. Yeah, of it's like I think it's every awesome. like it's such a like it feels like a location out of like you know like a Victorian or like classic like romance movie. And that's I'm glad you. Which said I that mean, because obviously, I'm so yeah. glad you said that. Yeah, because obviously, and George said that he was there on vacation, saw the lake, and he's like, these two are coming back here because it is like the most romantic place ever for these two. Yeah. So obviously, they show up here. And the rest is history. Go ahead. What What do you have and what do you think about this whole Naboo section with um, Padme and Anakin? Uh, let's see. What do I? All right. So I think I'll start. Yeah, I'll start where when they're having the meeting with the other with the politicians. I don't remember mm. exactly what they say, but like yeah. they were talking about like uh, the one guy says something about like. Anakin being a Jedi master or something. And then she's like, Oh, he's still, no, he's a Padawan. He's still just a Padawan. Yeah. And then Anakin gets insecure and like, you know, like tries to like, uh, jump into the conversation. And then Padme is like, uh, excuse me, shut the hell up, buddy. And then Anakin's like, I'm sorry, my lady. Like he's, I, I used to not like this moment, but watching it now, it's like, I kind of understand why he'd be pissed because like, you know, like, I'm sure like, if it was you, like, say like, you were with your wife, you know, and like, you had a similar encounter like that. And she said something like that. I'm sure you you would like, you know, feel like, insecure about it. And it's like, oh, I, I better like you know, like try and show that I'm, you know, like headstrong and, you know, tough and stuff. Cause like, he's still just that like little kid on the inside. And like, you know, like he's, he, you know, like this and revenge of the Sith are about him wanting to be a Jedi master. So for the woman he loves to say, no, he's not a Jedi master. Like somebody uplifted him to a status that he wasn't at. And then she's like, Oh no, his real position's lower than that. And then he's like, uh, "Excuse me." And then um, she's like, "No, shut up." And then he's like, "You know, like he doesn't want to be rude, but he's obviously mad about it." So it's like, you know, I feel like it's a pretty moment of uh, natural tension with him. 
and, and we have, probably we have react so, that way too. Yeah, exactly. It's real, and we have a lot of different um, moments like this in the movie. And man, I got so much to say. We got a little bit more to talk about with these two, but you're right. That moment was intentional. All I want you, you know, George intended for it to be this way. Yeah. And okay, we just, we just got to keep going. We'll get there. So they have this discussion um, in there. He kind of shuts her down. At this point, she sees him more as a bodyguard, and he obviously still has these feelings for her. Yeah. So eventually they get to the point where he confesses his feelings for her. And I think uh, how George put it, that Anakin put his hand on her, and she didn't, like, push him away. So he took that as her also having feelings for him back. So and then let's they, talk yeah talk I'll a little bit about going. yeah talk a little bit about from after that initial um meeting where they have um from there till the end of the um Naboo sequence where he, he uh has that dream about his mother i'm gonna go because i at the end of this i want to kind of like wrap up like my whole thoughts about like okay. their romance yeah, and stuff at the, okay so <clears throat> I'll just um start from when they're talking, and then Hayden Christensen gives the uh, Oscar-nominated line, I don't like sand. It's coarse, irritating, and it gets everywhere, which has been memed to infinity and beyond. Do you like you that? You know what? No? Y you know what? It's actually because before that, she was talking about, like, when she was in school or whatever and like her class took a trip to the beach and you know like she had this like privileged upbringing and then he's talking about how he hates sand because his life sucked and he was a slave on a on a desert planet so i love that little juxtaposition like it's not just him yeah. saying something dumb really it's more like him essentially saying i can't relate to that because my life sucked yeah let me and butt in I here i think that's pretty good it, it is, and he's at this point. He is a he's a kid, and even though he might be the age he is, think about his emotional, um, you know, and mental growth, and it being kind of almost stunted by just living the life he he lived as a slave turned Jedi. You know what I mean? In this moment, he might not know how to express that um, those thoughts by just saying he that he doesn't like sand because all he can think about are the sands of of Tatooine when yeah. he was a slave. And I saw somebody on Twitter um, explain this moment. I, you might've saw it. And it was like, this was what was really being said in that moment. It was, yeah. it was, you know, Padme, I didn't live a privileged life like you did as a queen going on nice vacations to the beach. I was yeah, exactly. living my life as a slave on Tatooine, you know, waking up every day to the, to the sand, knowing that I wasn't free. And now to be away from that, seeing it reminds me of, you know, m my life as a slave. So I don't know. I like the acting in that. I think it was, I think it was meant to be so awkward and cringy, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, yeah, it just, you know, it wasn't bad. Um, I like the juxtaposition of what he was saying, but also the juxtaposition of their acting between the two. I really like natalie portman as padme she's one of my favorite characters in star wars yeah definitely same with 
Hayden Christensen as Anakin. And it's mostly because of kind of the way they, like I said, they're juxtaposed, how they complement each other, how Anakin's like this, Padme's like this. But if Padme's like this, Anakin's like this. And I just want to butt in real quick here. If you're watching on YouTube or Spotify, there's a video version where I'm doing something with my hands. So I'm just going to plug that right here because we're going to start doing videos for some of these episodes and it'll be on YouTube and Spotify. The rest will be audio, but I was basically just moving my hands up and down, but I'll plug that here because why not? <laughs> I'm trying to yeah, do a little man. bit less housekeeping with the episodes where we just <laughs> get more into the content and we don't talk about you know, stuff that doesn't pertain to the topic. So I'm trying to do less of that and kind of save it for the end. Um, I think we, yeah. I think these episodes have been going great and I just want to plug that here. So yeah. what do you think about um, that section? I'm not a fan of the kiss. I don't feel like it makes sense. Like, I don't feel like there's a reason necessarily why she would kiss, why she would kiss him in that moment. Like if anything, I feel like he would have tried to kiss her and then she would have been like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, not like that. Um, I love the moment where they're in the fields and they're having that conversation where, like, he's talking about, like, his philosophy of, like, like, politics should just be, like, people talking and then, like, trying to decide what's best for everyone. And then she's like, well, that's what we try to do. But yeah. the problem is that, like, not everybody agrees or something and then he says the yeah. most the, the most vader <laughs> ass thing here we go they should be made to <laughs> yeah. and then i love that moment where she's like reacting like and then he has this like really stern look on his face i don't know she's like that sounds like a d dictatorship and then he's like what's wrong with that and then she's like kind of like freaked out and then he starts laughing and then she starts laughing and it's just like, oh, th they were just joking. Here's my take. I don't think he was joking. No. I think he was being serious and then just played it off. Like, I don't actually believe in dictatorships. <laughs> yeah. You know, but we see what he becomes. So it's like that was, I feel like that was always present in him and it just grows more and more, especially this in Revenge is, of the Sith. Yeah. This is where George brings starts to bring out Vader. Because you got to realize, Vader and Anakin are the same person. And we all know that, obviously. But it's not like Anakin turned to Vader and Vader turned back to Anakin. Vader has always been there in Anakin. Yeah. And Anakin was always there in Vader. It's, it's more, I think it's more subtle and complex than I think we make it out to be sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll explain more of that when we get to Tatooine. So if you want, we can jump there now because what happens is we, we actually find this out at the beginning of the movie that Anakin has been struggling with um, nightmares about his mother. So he has another one while he's here on Naboo with Padme. And Padme is like, well, Tatooine's not that far. Let's go. So, Anakin and Padme go to. Wait, back to if I jump in real quick and just bring up yeah, one thing? Okay, yeah. so when they're having that conversation about like, you know, like you know, like that, like you you start to see that like she does have feelings for him. Yeah, but she's like, you know, like we can't do it. I'm a 
I'm a senator, you're yeah, a Jedi, yeah. and then Anakin's basically like, well, we could just keep it a secret. And then bookmark this thing that I'm about to say, and then remember it when we talk about Revenge of the Sith. She says, it'll take us to a place we cannot go. Just put that in your back pocket, because I'm going to bring it up next episode, and I never noticed it until I rewatched this, and I'm like, that is some damn good... Uh, narrative poetry that is some I'm gonna damn, use, that is some damn good poetry i'm gonna use this paper for any questions we have <laughs> don't ask why i have this <laughs> hold on <laughs> yeah, video versions are fun so and then yeah if you're not uh, watching video for this episode <laughs> go go to youtube or, or spotify you're really missing out you're really missing out on this one so what did what did you just say because okay so remember this because i'm gonna reference it again when we talk about revenge of the sith when he said he basically like we can be together we could just keep it a secret you know and then she's like you know like that would be a bad idea it'll take us to a place we cannot go just remember that put that in your back pocket the reason i'm i'm doing this right now is for that but also for another moment in this movie that you may not be uh, thinking about oh, right okay now. There's another moment where this comes up. This pen is out of ink. It's out of ink, but I, I wrote down something. Okay. <laughs> okay. So That's then, yeah. Point. And then, yeah. Anakin having visions of his mom. And then yeah. that's why they fly to Tatooine. Who else in Star Wars had visions of bad things happening that led them to make an impulsive journey that ended up in them losing a limb? Luke Skywalker, Anakin's son. It's like poetry, so that they it rhymes. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I love the um, I love that they make Anakin have that ability to sense what's going to happen in the future because that's what um, actually happened to Luke. So you get to see that they're taking they're going down the same paths like Luke or like George said, but at and certain you know, points check this out. they deviate. I didn't see that I wrote this down, but um. Okay, um, Anakin having visions like Luke, same consequences, like, but different outcome, you know. Um, Luke gained a parent in Return of the Jedi because he saves Anakin from the dark side. Yeah. Anakin loses a parent. Wow, that's, that's actually a really good parallel right there <laughs> to where what George was saying at certain critical points, they uh, deviate in their in the path that they're on because they're both on similar paths. But I think that's a, a good point that you bring up with them uh, because obviously Anakin losing his mother is just is such a, a catalyst for him turning, um, which we'll get into. Yeah, definitely. But first, he arrives at the Lars homestead. And it's cool because George really wanted to show off the Lars Homestead in this because we see it again in A New Hope. And he said he really wanted to focus on parts like the kitchen, um, what was it, like the garage or whatever, the certain parts that we do see in A New Hope. So uh, what do you think about the Lars Homestead and everything leading up to obviously meeting a step, meeting a stepbrother and um, the family, the Lars family, uh, leading up to him going to save his mother? Well, actually, this whole thing is one of my biggest problems with the prequels, because if you recall in A New Hope, 
when Obi-Wan's talking to Luke. He's saying, yeah, uh, Anakin's brother, I mean, yeah, your, your uncle Owen thought yeah. that Anakin shouldn't have gotten involved with the Jedi. So when you hear that, you think, oh, okay, well, Owen was actually Anakin's brother because that's what we were led to believe, and they don't say anything otherwise throughout the whole trilogy. So he probably was like, hey, bro, I don't think you should join the Jedi for whatever reasons. But in this, like, Anakin doesn't meet Owen until they're both grown men and they barely interact. So it's like, I feel like if they would have been, like, I, I remember one time I was, like, talking to you, not on an episode, but, like, I think Phantom Menace should have been... Like it should have had because the prequels were showing famous had, characters um, as kids. Yeah. Oh. So when Anakin brings Qui Gon and crew into his house, there should have been a moment where he's like, "Oh, this is my baby brother Owen," you know. So have them actually be brothers. So then when Anakin returns home in this movie, it hits hard because he's reuniting with his estranged brother. But instead, this moment that should mean something in this movie just feels like pure fan yeah. service like oh i'm owen lars this is my dad who's the lars this is my wife shmi we're in the next trilogy cool huh all right bye i like, like i like that i think they could still keep um what's his name pa paul or something like that um as as the stepdad but actually have owen as the legitimate brother that was with shmi and who was also a slave like anakin because another aspect of that would have been that Anakin didn't just leave his mother in slavery, but he also would have left his brother in slavery. So yes, yeah. it would have been Anakin returning to his estranged brother, but his brother would have had contentment towards the Jedi for taking yeah. him away, which would have led to him not approving of Luke becoming a Jedi, which we see in Kenobi. I literally have this whole pitch. I don't want to get too into it, but basically like that would make their mom dying hit harder yeah. because then it's like, oh, if you wouldn't have, you know, left to become if a Jedi left, and try yeah. to be a big shot hero, you could have been here to help me save mom. But I was by myself, so I hate and, you. And then that and would not, have been yeah. the thing that, like, finally severs their bond forever. And not just severs their bond, but also that will uh, give more characterization to Anakin because that, that will make him have more contentment for the Jedi. Even. Yeah. Because he does anyways because we can actually get into it. They they leave the um, – Anakin leaves the Lars homestead. He's on his way walking out. And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm going to save my mother. Oh, dude, real and quick. I Props to Hayden Christensen. His performance when he learns what oh, happened yeah. to his mom, he doesn't say anything. But you could tell on his face, like, he's yeah. angry. He's confused. He's sad. He's, you know, like, he shows such a range by not saying anything. It's a great performance. And and you can tell that he wants to just lay into them, but uh, yeah. you can see that his um, stepdad is is obviously what handicapped uh, because the um, when the raiders attacked, they um, uh, injured him, and he yeah. said that about he said it was like a, what a month ago. Anyways, those are the details, but he says okay. He gets up, walks away. They ask him. He said, you know, I'm going to find my mother, save my mother. This is before he leaves. Padme does yeah. come up to him. They're standing yeah. outside. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I forget exactly I'm trying to get what the they talk about, but yeah. Okay. So 
George describes this as a callback to A New Hope when Luke was looking out at the dual sunset. And he describes it as you can tell there's something foreboding about to happen in the near future. And also, I noticed this watching it back last week. It is an exact picture of the Vader promotional poster for The Phantom Menace. Yeah, like it's like shown partially in their shadows. And then I think it's not until their shadows like intersect that it looks like how Vader looks with his helmet and his cape. So like I, I saw that and I was like, I never realized that. But yeah. this, this is really where Vader's born. And I also it's had almost like poster. here's a little tease at something I'm gonna talk about later to wrap up this whole part of the story. It's yeah. almost like Padme and Anakin's romance is at least partially what makes him Darth Vader. It's almost Whoa. it's almost like that's a it's almost like that's what George is trying to do or something. So let me uh let me go a little little deeper than this because I'm I don't remember their shadows like intersecting exactly. I mean, not but I, I mean like because like she walks up to him and then it's basically like a melding of their shadows. I think. Well, you see both of their shadows. Yeah, and what I could be wrong. What though. I what I thought of you, either way, you see both their shadows on there, and it's reminiscent of that poster, like we said. But also, it's reminiscent of the shadow of him for Darth Vader. And yeah. there's two of them, and her shadow looked like a, a cloaked figure, which I was taking as uh, Emperor Palpatine. Oh. And not that she, obviously, you know, not that she is, but I thought about the rule of two. And, you know, I know the history of why the Sith made the rule of two. And what's funny is there's actually, like, a the real rule of two for Anakin is with him and Padme. Yeah. Before he was um, in that master apprentice role with the emperor, he was in that with Padme. And she, like you said, uh, when they were at the meeting in Naboo, she shuts him down immediately whenever he says something. And then when they're on the ship about to leave after his mother dies, he says that, no, we're not going to save Obi-Wan because I'm supposed to be watching you. And we're not going to get you into da- danger. Yeah. And then she says, well, you can protect me while I go save Obi-Wan. And she's like, what, yeah. you're not going to argue with me? And he's like, I've learned not to argue with yeah. you. But it's out of he love. Her it's not out of, yeah. Him. It's, it's not, little... but, but this, this relationship, I mean, it's a, it, they end up getting married at the end of this. Their yeah. relationship is essentially that, um, you know, bond of two. And what happens is his fear of losing that leads him to Emperor Palpatine in the next movie. So we can actually get into that in the next movie. But basically, this is the inception of not just Vader, but the, um, the reason why he turns to Vader. And it is the love for Padme. Yeah. And you get to see that right here with... Padme being there when his mother dies because his mother, like I said at the beginning, was one of those three connections. So now you're losing that first connection. He's losing that connection with his mother, which obviously this is one of the most important uh, moments in the entire saga right here. And when he gets on a speeder to go save his mother, and I believe what I was going to say is 
that they played Duel of the Fates as he's riding out to save his mother, which is obviously a very like symbolic song for the prequels in the saga. So this is the inception of the bond between him and Yeah, Padme. yeah, yeah. They're playing it? Yeah. Okay, so th this um, that shows how significant this is and the, what happens when he loses his mother. Yeah. This is leading him down the path to become Vader, but not just leading him down the path to become Vader, but leading him down the path to be with Padme because Padme comforts him after this. He's He comes back with his mother. They have the burial. He's in the homestead, and he's throwing kind of a... A, a tantrum he's throwing things and she comes and calms him down yeah yeah go ahead this is one of my other problems is that padme's reaction never made sense to me it's way too calm like he's dude like he's having a meltdown about how he murdered a bunch of the raiders not just the men but the women and the children yeah. too and and she's like, yes, yeah. she's reacting okay, to it as if he's just saying, oh, you know, I yelled at Obi-Wan because I got mad. And then she's like, it's human to be angry. And it's like, bro, he's telling you that he murdered a bunch of people in vengeance and you're reacting way too calmly, Padme. What is wrong with you? Are you kind of a psychopath? Like, see, what? I thought I thought that, too. I thought it was I thought it was a weird reaction to that whole I killed them, you know, the not just the men, but, but this is what I thought. And this is why I brought up this whole uh, thing about that is the, this is the inception of them too, because I saw her as being, she had to respond the complete opposite of that to balance him out. And that's something a significant other does. So this was like the unspoken, you know, moment of them realizing that they love each other. And it, you only get, the, the validation of this from this point on in the movie. And then I wrote down on my paper, the arena, and that is such an underrated moment between them, yeah. between the two of them um, that we'll get into. But this, the way she responds is weird, but think about it in terms of like a husband and a wife. She was more concerned. Listen, she was more concerned with being there and comforting him and helping him than being concerned with the fact that he just killed the men, the women, and the children. I mean, I think part of it has to do with the fact that, like, the Raiders are just, you know, these, like, objectively bad people. Because it, in yeah. Revenge of the Sith, when she finds out what he did to, like, you know, people in power and stuff, she's, like, rightly horrified by it. So I you could see it as, like, the only reason that she isn't, like, really really turned off and scared by it is because he's like it'd be like i feel like if you told your wife that you like that like you know all oh, this group of criminals kidnapped my mom and then she died while she was in captivity and i freaked out and i killed him i don't think i think she would obviously be like you know worried about that but she'd be like oh well they were criminals so i mean yeah whatever it and that's kind of that's what I was thinking. And just real quick about the Raiders, we obviously see the Raiders in Episode Four, but we don't. If you're watching it, and as George puts it, the correct order one, two, you know, whatever, so on. We don't know that they're not human. In this, we see that they they are more monsters. In this, we see that they are more they're bad people, like you say. So that is a little bit more forgivable. 
And then this same kind of thing comes up in the same thing comes up in episode three. Obviously, let's just not let's just not go there. But it comes up in episode three. But in this, uh, that's how I view it. I think this is honestly, I think this is one of the best scenes in Star Wars. uh, This whole this whole moment. Yeah, I think it's all right. You know, I don't hate it anymore. Like I've I've learned to kind of see it a little differently. All right, so um, we talked about how he um, the fallout after that. She comforts him, and then um, they get the distress beacon from Obi Wan from Geonosis, and he follows her. He follows her there to protect her as they both go to uh, save Obi Wan. So from here on out, get into your thoughts on the last act, the third act. This is. All kinds of action, as George puts it. This is when they walk in to the dragon's cave. Uh, okay. With Genosis, uh, the battle, everything. Yeah, it's it's. It was really, uh, it was a really interesting stylistic choice of George to uh, include a Three Stooges sketch in the third act of his movie. <laughs> that you know, like you're, they're like on the. Did you like head- it? No. Oh, come it feels on. like a video game. Like it's, it's okay. like it's an art. The, the entire an R2 movie R2 stops moment. dead for this like video game Three Stooges sketch comedy ass moment. This where, whole twenty like, minute sequence was to show that R two is the hero. That was it. It's so and weird. It was a, like and it was a um, a cliffhanger. Oh, did he lose his arm? No, he didn't lose his arm, but he did lose his lightsaber. <laughs> I do like the callback of a. Uh, Padme kissing, kissing Anakin on the cheek, like Leia kissing Luke on the cheek. I thought that was a interesting callback. Are you talking about when they were going into the arena? No, no. There's a moment where they're. Isn't there a moment where they're like on the belt or something? I'm like she. Oh yeah, that is a callback. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, she kissed yeah. him on the cheek. I don't remember exactly what happens. Um, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good callback. I guess the only other thing until we get to the third act fight is that uh, Jar Jar ruined everything. He did. Everything's Jar Jar's fault. Yeah. And I'm so glad I, I kind of talked about it at the himself. beginning. I hope yeah, you're proud um, of yourself, damn it. <laughs> but he did. He gave, uh, he gave, yeah. he gave him the uh, power. So we get into the arena, and I love this part because they obviously get captured on their way to save Obi-Wan. And they have this, uh, this short exchange as they're waiting to be pulled out into the arena to be um, basically uh, killed for sport in front of the yeah, I want to know your opinion on this, then, on some. Um, I love love this part. This movie just keeps going up there in the ranks for me in terms of Star Wars movies. And every time I watch it, I notice more things. I just end up liking it more and more. I guess I'm appreciating this movie more and more as I get older not just because of the nostalgia I had for it, but just because of everything I'm seeing from it. And the arena is one of them, those moments. And I love the song, um, love pledge in the arena. That's one of my favorite songs in star Wars. And they have this little exchange here where Padme's now confessing her love for Anakin and Anakin has the same reservations that you brought up earlier that Padme had about him saying that you're a Senator I'm a Jedi. And Padme's response is, well, what does it matter? We're about to die anyways. And right, so no, they sorry. realize that, yeah, they realize that 
they love each other and nothing is going to stand in the way. And that is, this is, I think the end of that moment that started, you know, they obviously have that the three stooges skit in between there, but um, when you get to the, from the death of his mother to now, you know, presumably the death of both of them that you see that they're, you know, it's the, it's them too. Now it is now Anakin and Padme. Um, and this is where attachment goes to the next level. And this is what the Jedi were trying to keep, you know, the Jedi order was trying to keep the Jedi away from creating attachments like this, because it only leads to fear to greed and then to revenge. So, uh, what, so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's interesting because Anakin, because at first he's the one pursuing her and then yeah. eventually like he, he like wises up and he's like, you know, she's right. I can't do this. I'm just gonna, you know, stay focused and, you know, like we can be close friends, but like he starts accepting his responsibilities and growing, but now she's on the opposite end pursuing him and that like i feel like here's my theory he was on the path to the dark side especially after he killed the tuscan raiders but yeah. i feel like him becoming vader and fully going to the dark side is kind of her fault because she pulled him off of the that right path why because if you notice when she says i love you he's not like Oh my God! I'm so happy to hear you say that. I, I don't even think he says it back. No, he's like, "What?" But yeah. we can't do. You said we we can't, and then she's like, "It doesn't matter. I love you." So she there's a lot of push and pull with them, and then but in the end, it's her that entices him, and then those feelings for him come up again. And then I won't say yeah. I won't yeah. say it's her fault. I mean, um, it's not totally her she fault, is a but catalyst. she has something She's to do with it. She's a catalyst. Yeah. It's partially is, her, but and, not all And that, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. It, um, this is the, like, like I said, this is the inception of when he truly will become uh, Vader. It's because of the, uh, this, um, yeah. not just this attachment, <laughs> but the, um, the, the, uh, the loss and the fear and the anger and the greed, everything, um that Yoda actually talks about. So do you think I agree with you? This is going to kind of lead into my big uh, summary of their whole love story later. But do you believe that she really loved him? I don't know. Um, okay. Interesting. Cause I kind of don't really, but I feel like that's the point. I'll Which say I'll this. I think specify later. I think um, I think obviously she does because that's the story. But I'm thinking of in terms of did they pull it off? Uh. Um, I don't think I think they it could have been pulled off better. Um, yeah, but it, you know, I yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. If you think about it, um, th think about how large think think about you know just the Earth how many people there are now expand that to the galaxy. You know what I mean? And especially a queen, a Senator, and then a Jedi, you know what I mean? They, they chose each other. So I think that could have been represented better, but there's a certain story that has to be told in a time frame that I think, I think it's good for me. This is adequate. It's good. I like it. One reason I like this movie a lot. I think it's good. Okay. That aspect. Yeah, I agree.
I think I think this gets fleshed out more though in Clone Wars, um, you know, stuff like that because uh, season seven of Clone Wars, it's funny, man. Um, <laughs> he's like they're away in the Clone Wars, Anakin and Obi Wan, and, and there's a part where Anakin is is like basically FaceTiming uh, Padme with the holograms and behind Obi-Wan's back and then he like gets off with Padme turns around and Obi-Wan's there <laughs> and Obi-Wan sees but he just Obi-Wan chooses to ignore it because he wants Anakin to be happy and it's just it it's cool it's if it, it's there's characterization and I think it, it it helps with the relationship between all of that that George wanted to flesh out in the Clone Wars series that you know there was obviously re restraints and um, all that in the movies but yeah so uh, so the gladiator fight. Love this part. The arena. Yeah, it's man. like a classic gladiator fight on this planet. Uh, I think it's cool, like, them having to defend themselves against these large creatures without their lightsabers. Like, yeah. it shows, again, that it's what I want to see more of in Star Wars is, like, Jedi having to be resourceful when they're in danger and not just, oh, I'll just use the force or I'll just use my lightsaber. Like, no, what happens when they can't do any of those things? I don't even think they use the force at all. Um, they I don't didn't, think, they yeah. didn't have their sabers. Yeah. Um, I think they maybe they do much... a tiny bit, but like, yeah, trying to remember. it's mostly just um, them being oh, clever. Oh, Anakin, yeah, Anakin does to calm down the creature to get on him. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. But um, I like I like how capable Padme was. Because uh, without even looking at Padme, Anakin thinks that she's not going to be able to handle it. And <laughs> she seems to be on top of things. <laughs> on top of it. So I love that she, moment um, right before yeah. that where Obi-Wan sees them two being brought out to the arena. And then he's like, yeah, I was beginning yeah, to I wonder if you got my message. And then Anakin's like a the little pouty. He's like, so good. we decided to come to rescue you. You know, and then he's like, well, good job. <laughs> like... Obi Wan's the so acting sassy between, dude. Like, the, yeah, the acting job, between idiot. both of them. Both <laughs> yeah. of them. Not not just Obi Wan's Ewan's. Ewan's <laughs> yeah, but... like, Anakin, again to Hayden's credit, like he plays this like like a son who like wanted to do something really good for yeah. one of his parents, but it backfired. He's like, Well, I wanted to do this for you and then the parents like, Well, you did it, did you? Great job. Yeah. Like it's you know, like a really relatable moment. <laughs> So great action sequence between the three characters. Um, love it. You get to see Dooku, uh, Django, um, New Gunray, and whatever the leader's name of the Genosians is. Um, you get to see him at the balcony, and in walks Mace Windu. And it's cool because uh, Mace Windu, obviously played by uh, Sam Jackson, was in the first movie, but he had such a small role. Yeah. And it's he cool because full George... on Samuel L. Jackson yeah. here is like this party's over like that's <laughs> such a great one line <laughs> yeah and, and um obviously he wanted to be involved in star wars and wanted to have the action but george had a certain story that he needed to follow and he couldn't set up the clone wars and the jedi fighting and until this movie so it's cool how he did give samuel jackson that part but he told him he had to play a smaller role in the phantom menace before he could actually get to this fighting scene in attack of the clones and then obviously his 
fighting scene until you know when he dies in the third movie but it's just yeah. cool how they had that connection and he committed to that it was awesome seeing a purple lightsaber for the first time and yeah it's weird um, that he's the only one who has one so that makes yeah. me wonder i just want there like this will probably sound stupid but i just hope that there's like a book or something where like lace windu chooses a purple crystal and then the other jedi are like why are you choosing purple and then he's like oh no i just like purple shut up about it <laughs> like you know <laughs> so do you know why it's purple it's technically amethyst that's the color um, but the reason it is is because he um i'm sorry the reason it, i'm trying to think of in canon version but i can't right now i got it mixed up with the form the lightsaber form that he uses he uses form seven but the actual but the real life reason why he picked purple was just because he wanted it samuel yeah, jackson yeah. literally just wanted yeah. purple. <laughs> so i think that's awesome uh, I, think I think that's think fun. Of, like it makes him stand yeah. out. I just know it's so he uses form seven and which form seven channels the light side and dark side. And I I want to say that's the reason for the crystal too is that is um Oh red and blue purple. Yeah. Oh maybe. Is that's is cool. that reason? Because he um he isn't obviously a, a dark side, you know, user or whatever but he i think um, in revenge does, of the sith you could argue that he kind of is but he doesn't know he it. channels it yeah he's yeah. obviously a jedi but he channels it in his in his fighting when he needs it um but yeah so red and blue makes purple cool uh in canon context so he uh, obviously uh fights Django. Django whips out the flamethrower uh lights him on fire he jumps down and we get to see all of the jedi there ignite their lightsabers and they land and obviously the droid army shows up and corners them. It gets them into a circle right in the middle of the arena. And uh, let's just talk about the story that happens. It's a cool fight, but the droids center them in the middle of the arena. And Dooku, he has them stop. And he says, you know, you guys, you're just outnumbered. And they're just like, okay, well, it is what it is. We got we to gotta do it. And bang, in comes John Cena. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, here comes, <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> here comes the uh, clones. In comes the clones. Yeah. What did George relate this to? George related this to when Han showed up to rescue Luke in one of the movies. But yeah, so it's just one of those cliffhangers. Oh, what's going to happen? You'll find out next episode. But the clones come in. Uh, Yoda is riding on the uh, the dropship, just commanding them around because obviously he can't um, do anything that we know of until the end. But what do you think about the introduction of the clones? Because I love these clones. These are the Phase One clone troopers. I, like I love the, them. I like awesome. the armor that they wear. Yeah, I've always thought that was cool. I like the ship. Um, I just like had this thought like of like Yoda showing up to Camino and like saying. Okay, clones, now's finally your time yeah. to shine, you know? And then, like, at least one of them just, like, like looking at him as he approaches them, he's like, he's a Jedi Master? Like, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> like, he must have gave them, like, a rousing speech for them to simultaneously... I mean, that was their purpose, you know? But, like, yeah. I... It's just, like a like, a fun little thing of, like, you know, Yoda being, like, you know, okay, it's time to go. It is. Um, 
time to kill these Sith it is. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, I love the introduction of the clones so much. So pandemonium breaks out and they all, um, the separatists begin to leave and two things happen. Jango jumps down to kill Windu and we know how that goes. Yeah. He, him um, and his son both die like yeah. stupid people. I, I don't know what's up with that. Like, dude, like what's like, yeah. I want to know what uh, was going through Jango's mind. Fire. He's reflecting. He's reflecting. He's reflecting. What do I do? Should I keep shooting? And I'm dead. Like, bro, do you not have grenades? Do you not have anything else you can use? Roll out of the way. Like, why are you just standing there? So when so you got to watch close, and I hate how the, the way this was done because it doesn't look like it was intentional, but it was. When he gets hit by that creature that Anakin was fighting, and he, like, tramples over him, when Jango's rolling, you see his jetpack get damaged and you can see the sparks from it and oh. george specifically made the sparks more visible in the dvd version um because you can see you can physically see Django try to fire his rockets at mace windu when mace windu's running at him but the sparks start to happen on his jetpack because it was damaged from that creature i mean but he still could have like rolled out of the way or something instead he could he yeah he could stands there and does nothing so he gets dec decapitated <laughs> um you know how that goes. Boba goes, picks up the helmet. That's a cool shot, that, too. That, that's a brutal shot, dude. Like, yeah. Wasn't there... It's tough. It's tough. This might be a Mandela effect, but wasn't there a version where, like... Where the head comes out? Yeah. I swear there might have... I... I don't know. I kind of think this is all Barry Allen's fault. <laughs> Screwing with this space time. This is... Uh, <laughs> this, it might be a Mandela effect. I don't know. I... I don't know. Anyways, I don't want to get caught up on that because <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, that's trippy. <laughs> so Django dies. Uh, we get to see Mace, and he has this this intense look. What does he look at Boba after he kills his father? That stare down was brutal. That uh, just the look in look in Mace Windu's face after that. He he was he was savage. But anyways, regardless, like I said, two things happen. Did you catch the second thing that happened when the separatists were leaving? I actually love this. I love this moment. Such a cool detail because the uh, Geonosian... they show. A, uh, are you talking about when Count Dooku goes inside of the place and then he says to the one guy, uh, the one guy's like, hey, um, we need to leave before they find out about her yeah. secret weapon. And then it's a yeah. blueprint <laughs> of a prototype of the Death Star. And it's like, hey, the yeah. Death Star, because this whole trope this whole saga doesn't focus enough on the freaking Death Star. You know, it's like, so we the, just had to see yeah. it in this movie. <laughs> well, the Geonosians are, as George puts it, the, um, the, um, what do you want to call them? The, uh, the people that just build things. Um, the architects? Build, they build the, I don't know if you use that word, but essentially, they were the architects of this. They built the droids for the Separatists. So, you, he said you can imagine that um, the Emperor commissioned or con yeah. he said contracted the Geonosians to build the Death Star. And I like that. They gave him the plans, which you get to see Dooku um, deliver I to mean, Palpatine in Coruscant at the end of the movie. I will say this, though. For as much as either something similar to the Death Star or the actual Death Star show up in some of the other movies, which is really weird, and I'll talk about in future episodes 
it being presented how it is in this movie at least makes sense because it's like yeah, oh yeah of course they would have been working on this weapon because they're trying to form their own you know union whereas like in other movies it's like hey do you remember the death star well we have something that's like the death star because we don't but have better. any creativity like this death star destroys more planets star killer base i'm looking at you that was i hated that i i i like that sequence but it's it's stupid <laughs> all right <laughs> anyway so anyway we could go on a tangent with that we're going we're going on a lot of tangents but i don't care because this is this is a we can do whatever we want we yeah can do whatever we want there's no rules you're not my mom so, <laughs> <laughs> i am your father uh no so um he gets the plans and as he's leaving I like the whole sequence with um, if because it feels like a video game. It reminds me a lot of Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront. You're talking like about the, the lightsaber duel. No, before ah, that, when they're okay. chasing uh, Count Dooku down, you get to see the ship of. Oh yeah. Uh, in the ship, there was Obi Wan, Anakin, and Padme, and in another yeah. ship, I, it wasn't. It's not confirmed that it was Commander Cody, but um, I want to say it was, and uh, Yoda. And it's cool because you get to see them and Yoda's like, uh, um, what is it? He said, uh, target the destroyers, you will. <laughs> and they like start firing at, at all of the starships. And you get to see uh, like just the, the Clone Wars, you know what I mean? Like the pandemonium. Yeah. This is like the first battle of the Clone Wars. And yeah, all the much. Jedi are there. The clones are there. All the separatists. It's cool. It's, um, you get to see them destroy everything. I love the visuals of it. Um, but then uh, towards the end of this section, George actually added this post, like after the whole movie was done, he went in and did reshoots with Ewan and Hayden for this specific section. And it's reminiscent of um, at the beginning of the movie with something you were talking about. It's when Padme falls out of the ship. She falls out of the ship and rolls and Anakin starts freaking out. He's like, we got to turn around. We got to save her. <laughs> And Obi-Wan's like, if you jump out or you go save her, you will be expelled from the Jedi Order. So I don't just know why think this with is, your head. This whole scene has always been unintentionally funny to me. Like, the way Ewan is just, like, shouting. Like, he's like, you'll be expelled from the Jedi yeah. Order. You'll be expelled from the Jedi Order. Like, like he's just like, like, Obi-Wan's just, like, so tired of Anakin <laughs> shit so and just, like, yelling at him over the top is how, and then Anakin's like, fine. Like, it's such a laughable, like, it's one of the sequences that I will meme because it's, it wasn't executed. Like, I don't know why George chose those specific takes, but, eh. Yeah. I'm not Probably just because of reshoots, but. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. So, last part of the movie, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. The Duel. And it's funny because at this point, George was like, yeah, yeah, these are, these movies are known for their duels. <laughs> so I guess you got to have a duel at the end of every movie now. In my opinion, and this, this one, is one of the worst ones in the whole saga. Honestly. <laughs> here's, here's my take. <laughs> this is one of the worst ones, but it's also one of my favorite ones in the whole saga. Just because when I was growing up, just nostalgia, I always yeah, loved yeah. this movie because of Yoda. I would, I I love I love Yoda in this, and I, I we'll get to that because George talks about it, and I want to end with I Yoda got versus Dooku. Some opinions about that, kind of. Okay, so 
let's start with the Obi-Wan Anakin versus Dooku. So it was funny because he's he's actually juggling three different fights here. The first one is the first one is essentially Obi-Wan versus Dooku. Because yeah. Dooku kind of makes quick work of Anakin. And then I think the he, Obi-Wan fighting him is actually not not that bad, but then it okay. kind of goes downhill. <laughs> yeah, that one was short and really he's trying to tell a story here through the fighting and it's more of I don't know, man, this is more of like visual dialogue than anything. Because it's not um, – well, how do you describe it? He, he said it wasn't uh, a fighting sequence. He, he described it as something else. This wasn't meant to be your typical duel. So anyways, he makes quick work of Anakin. Obi-Wan fight, fights him, and then he makes kind of quick work of, of uh, Obi-Wan and throws the thing on him, kind of uh, stops him. And Obi-Wan throws Anakin, his lightsaber, and this is the first time we see somebody really fight with – dual sabers so that was that I, was cool i like you know like you, you talk about like poetry throughout the writing and stuff and like uh visual storytelling anakin using his blue lightsaber and he's also using a green lightsaber and who eventually uses a green lightsaber his son yeah yeah <laughs> um i like that and then it, it's also a callback to um uh, him fighting his son in Return of the Jedi because George intentionally made him uh, want to cut the cord for the lights and have this light be in the battle, uh, have this battle be in the dark. I think that was um, a great idea, as but a callback. The, the execution's really weird. Like, it's shot really weird, and it's, oh, it's basically, it is. It's shot like, bad, yeah. Yeah, like, it's just, like, shot, like, Ewan and like, yeah. Christopher Lee just, like, standing there awkwardly, like, flinging, like, flailing their sabers. Or, like, it. I get what George wanted to do, and that's cool, but it's... Yeah, the, um, I agree. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like shots of just their face, and then it'll pan to the other one. Yeah, like, you it's don't clear actually that see the Christopher yeah. Lee didn't do any stunt work or something, and they yeah. had to edit around him, and it, it's really obvious. <laughs> what a great what a great actor, though. We didn't talk about his oh, monologue yeah. with Obi-Wan. Yeah, dude, um, like, which when, was a, like... Which was a great monologue. He's talking to him, and he's like, yeah, I know the Senate's corrupt, you know, uh... Qui-Gon was my teacher, and you kind of remind me of him. Uh, and then he he, he says gives, he gives Obi-Wan the chance to join him. And then you, you could tell, like, it seems like Obi-Wan was kind of maybe thinking about what he was saying. But then he's like, no, you're wrong. Because but, he thinks about what he's saying because he says, oh, I wish uh, you forget your master was my apprentice at one point, And I wish Qui-Gon was here right now because he yeah. could help me a great deal. And that when he says that, Obi Wan pauses for a second, and he's like, "No." It makes you wonder how that would have went down if Qui Gon wouldn't have died, and yeah. he would have been with him. Maybe that would have gone like maybe Count Dooku, you know, seeing his old Padawan would have like maybe joined with them again, like, like to maybe. Turn it's on one the of the coolest like, it makes like you what ifs. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. But or what if Christopher Lee, man? What if what a guy? What if? Obi-Wan accepted Count Dooku's offer. Yeah. But then he oh, would have found oh, out oh. about the Emperor sooner. So, yeah. but I mean, yeah. That's like what I sent you earlier, the what if uh, Luke joined Vader. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> so, 
All right, Christopher Lee, man, what a guy. So at this point, he makes quick work of really both of them, even with um, when Anakin had two sabers. And then in walks the grandmaster himself, Yoda. And Frank Oz, man, what a performance. Because when Yoda oh, yeah. walks in, you, tell me if I'm wrong. When Yoda walks in, you get a sense of like, whoa, this is what we've been waiting yeah. for. And for four, I love that, four almost five yeah. movies. I love that it starts out with them using the Force. And then yeah. Count Duke is like, we can't settle this with the Force. Because what does Yoda say in Empire Strikes Back? Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. War not make one great. So Yoda has always been like, how powerful you are with the Force, that's what matters. Everything else, it really doesn't matter. Stop worrying about that's it That's so, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow, I still that's don't, so interesting. Yeah. I still don't love Yoda using a lightsaber, but I've changed my opinion a little bit to where it's like, yeah, it's a little stupid how he needs a cane to walk, but then he could tap into the Force and jump around and walk perfectly fine, but then after the battle, he can't walk again. But... Yeah, it's I've weird. Seen they it. made him use. I've like learned to see it as like Yoda uses his lightsaber when he has to, but if he doesn't have to, then he prefers to not do it because in his mind, that's not what makes a Jedi great. Unlike Obi Wan, when him and Anakin are chasing the Changeling, Obi Wan gives him back his lightsaber, and then he's like, "This weapon is your life. Protect it." So. Obi-Wan's yeah. mind is like, lightsaber is really important. Yoda's like, nah, not really. And what's crazy is, man, what's crazy is Obi-Wan, you got to read, I forget what book it is, man. I want to say Master and Apprentice. Um, Obi-Wan was not known for his midichlorian counters force abilities. He was known for his dueling, and he uses form three, which oh. is, a, is, a, is the most defensive form. So to him, it's like, you got to have your lightsaber because without yeah. it, you know, but then Yoda, um, I mean, Yoda uses form four, which is a very like acrobatic style. It's the same one Qui-Gon use, uh, uses. Um, but Yoda's so powerful with the force because obviously his midichlorian count is so high that he doesn't need a lightsaber. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which, you know, as, while I'm talking about forms, um, Dooku's form is, is cool. He uses form two, which is like a classic, um, like fencing form, like dual form. I love how George um, which created fits his like specific fighting styles and stances for I all love the it. different Jedi. Like his, yes. he could have easily just had them all use basically the same technique, but he made the effort to be like, no, they all have a specific way they hold the lightsaber, a specific way their lightsabers look, a specific way that they move when they're fighting. Like it's yes. like really. Uh, creative and passion-filled storytelling. Yeah, and like I think Maul and um, Windu both used Form Seven, which was a form. It was very aggressive, but you tapped it a little bit into the dark side when you used it, which I think is interesting. Um, Anakin and Luke both used the same one, and they used Form oh. Five. But here's the cool thing: they both used two different variations of that form. Um. Anakin's was a more aggressive form. Luke's was a more defensive form. That makes and what's sense. Cool about, it's so interesting. And what's in, what's even more interesting is you can see 
Anakin come out in Luke based on his lightsaber form in Return of the Jedi. When um, Vader or Anakin mentions his sister, he taps into that other form that's more aggressive and starts beating on him. Ah. Like, you know what I mean? So he kind of taps Which into makes sense his, because uh, that was him yeah. making the final choice to not be like his dad. Yes, and then he stops. And, then and he that throws turn, his saber down. Yeah, you know, he decides not to be like his dad, and then his dad decides to be like him. All right. <laughs> I can't, I guess right. that I can't <laughs> wait for Return of the Jedi, but that's cool talking about their lightsaber forms. Um, I love seeing Yoda. I love him flipping around. Yeah, it's I still, imagine him using the force to move like that. Yeah, like I even as a kid, like I, I saw this move, I saw Revenge of the Sith in theaters with my dad. I think I'd seen the other ones on like home video, but I didn't really remember them. But same, my I, dad I think brought me to see Revenge three. of the Sith for some reason. And then yeah. when Yoda was fighting Palpatine, my dad was just like so amused by this like small dude, like you know, like flipping yeah. and fighting. Like it was just a thing that I always thought was really fun. Yeah, it's fun. It is just so much fun. So essentially that's the end of the movie and and at this point you see the birth of the empire you yeah. see uh dooku leaving and he takes the blueprints to coruscant which is um he gives it to palpatine and um you get to see i think they play what what um what do they play here the imperial they march they play imperial march and you see the ships like the uh destroyers start ascending and they're the same basically as the ones from the original trilogy and this yeah. is the clone war the start of the clone wars which is the the beginning of the end of the republic and you see the birth of the empire a huge moment um one of the biggest you know biggest things to happen in star wars um, yeah so that's pretty much the end of the movie uh because here we're left with uh anakin losing uh his hand um we're left with um padme um and anakin getting married which if you notice in the dvd version george had padme take the hand that was robotic yeah. from anakin when they got married to show that he is now part vader and she yeah. accepts that which you'll see in episode three so that's pretty much uh include you know in conclusion, that's it. Besides anything else, we got to say. So, give me a uh, top yeah. down. Oh, sorry, do you go first. What do you think? What no, you think? go first. You go first. All right. So, I have a thought about the Anakin and Padme wedding scene, but first, I have to kind of. So, <clears throat> for a long time, I think I was partially inspired by like other YouTubers that would like talk about the prequels and you know, like negative ways. I always thought Padme and Anakin's romance was like, it didn't make sense. It was unnatural. It was, you know, stilted, which I still kind of think that. But here's the thing I've come to realize, though. Their romance is a bad thing. Yeah. It's yeah. it's supposed to be bad. Like, so that one scene where Padme and Anakin are talking, like, they're just, like, walking somewhere and talking. And then she says... Like, you know, like, I might not have been the youngest queen they elected, but when they elected me, I didn't feel like I was old enough. And then yeah. Anakin being like, well, I think you I think you did a really great job. I think the Republic really needs you. So 
And then you go back to Phantom Menace. When they first meet, Anakin's like, you know, uh, I, um, you know, like, uh, he's like talking about how, like, is it that's, I don't remember, well, whatever, like, when they have dinner at his house, he's like, I dreamed that I was a Jedi and I freed all the slaves and stuff. And, like, oh, uh, like, yeah. like, he had this idealistic nature about him for being so young, you know, like, he was in a, position where he didn't really get to have a childhood but still had this like childhood idealistic sense about him yeah and then padme became a queen at a young age so she had to grow up fast you know so yeah. i here's my reading of the romance and i'll try not to drag it out too long padme couldn't really have a childhood either because she had to grow up fast yeah. and assume responsibilities so you know she meets anakin who, you know, kind of like represents that innocence at first that she lost, that she kind of had to surrender when she took on these big responsibilities. Yeah. Fast forward to Attack of the Clones, you know, he's... And she you know, represents like, like more mature... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like adult, um, you know, aspect of the life. Yeah, that, like he's yeah, he older yeah. and he's showing interest in her. And at first, she just flat out rebuffs him. She's like, I don't like when you look at me like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Stop being weird. And then he's like, okay, I'm sorry. But, you know, he's like creepy about it. I'm so, sorry, but I'm not going to stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like the reason that, because it makes sense why he would fall in love with her because she's Natalie Portman and hello. And mature women are, I mean, I don't want to be weird, but mature women are sexy. That's just my opinion. That's a sexy quality for a woman to have. Of course, he'd be drawn to her. But I think she fell for him because she was slowly rediscovering that innocence, that idealistic yeah, yeah. nature that she had to suppress. And, you know, that he's learning to suppress, but hasn't been that Dude, walking that path as long as her. So I think their whole romance is a passionate, idealistic, emotion-fueled suicide march. Yeah. Because if you notice in the wedding scene, they're standing over here and the priest is here and they're getting married, right? Where's okay. the son? The son is on the right side. So the movie ends with Anakin and Padme not on the side of light. So it's it has this That's it's not really shot like a cheerful really moment either. Like it's like really gloomy, like the end of Empire. Wow. It's like poetry so that they rhyme. I feel like it's showing you there were moments where they could have chosen not to be with each other, but they did. And that sucks. And that's supposed to make you feel tense and fear for their future because shit's going to go down and it does go down. So that's my, dude. Opinion. that's crazy. And I think, you know what, you're, you're so validated because of when she talked about like, she's not the youngest, but she wasn't old enough. So she, yeah. you know, you, you're what you're saying about her and her um, mentality is, is so is that's correct. Wow. Um, yeah. And then obviously same with him. We get obviously more um, characterization for Anakin than Padme in this movie um, and in the, in the saga. But yeah, the wedding scene, that's so interesting. I, and she grabs, you know, obviously the yeah. robotic hand and they're on not on the side of the light, essentially. That's. I mean, because like when you see them looking at the twin sons, yeah. right? Sons up at this point have always been above 
people, you know, in in A New Hope, it like represented like, you know, this greater life that Luke wants to have, but can't have. And then in, in for Anakin and Attack of the Clones, you can see that it kind of represents like hope that's escaping him, you know, like it's far yeah. from him. So in both cases, they're looking at the sun in the same way. But then in this scene, I I have to think it's specifically made to be that way by George, where they're over here and a son's over here, indicating they're away from hope. Hope is over here and they're over here. They're not in a hopeful place. This is bad. Because and then on the side that they're standing, like the the sky looks a little like gray, like like how the sky looks before like a thunderstorm or something like it's kind of yeah there's clouds you know foggy yeah. yeah so i i feel like that was george you know again visual storytelling like i have to think that that's what he meant and if not it's the greatest accident of all time <laughs> that is yeah it's it, it has to be because if not it's the greatest accident ever that's um that's amazing so let's basically end it with that i i that's i love that i will always love this movie and like i said the more i watch it the more i the more i find out the more um i love it for different aspects and i think it's an underrated movie in terms of star wars movies yeah i, would. I think it's um underappreciated um just like the phantom menace i think i think um i think the prequels are just under i'm not gonna say underrated but the prequels in general underappreciated because there's there's so much to love and there's so much complexity and depth that you may not think the execution was there, but the concepts and the intent and you know the ideas were definitely there. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is a perfect example of that I love this movie. So, man, we covered a lot. Um, I think it's comprehensive enough. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh... so much. You know, it's, I didn't expect, cause you know, I'm still kind of learning to be more open-minded, like I said at the beginning and stuff. And so I expected to be like, I was like, ah, oh, I got to rewatch Attack of the Clones. No, it's so bad, kind of. And then I was like, you know, like as the movie kept going, I was like, Am I just becoming stupider in my old age, or do I like this movie? So now, yeah. let the record show on Saturday, April 15th, 2023, at 4.28 p.m., Antonio Quinones is saying definitively, at least for now, I like Attack of the Clones. I think it is, I'd say it's a solid seven and a half. I don't think it's a great movie. It's not one of my favorites, but I like it. You know, it's, I think it, it feels pretty like Star Wars. It does a lot of really cool things, has some of my favorite things in the whole saga. And, uh, I think I it's, I think it's a pretty good balance of the politics and the drama and all that stuff that George wanted to do that I think he kind of fell short in Phantom Menace. Um, and that's and he he does say that he he um he he said because he got all the exposition and a lot of the political things setting up the separatists out of the way in the first movie this one he could focus on getting the story of the clones and all of that rolling and whatnot so um 
I completely agree with everything you said. Not everything, but for the yeah. most part. <laughs> for the most part, underrated, uh, underrated gem. So, um, all right, Mister uh, Mister uh, Tony Fett, the bounty hunter we've been <laughs> looking for. Thanks for coming on. It was fun. The second one down. Um, I think this one was better than the first first uh, episode. Yeah. So that makes me excited for the next one because we're Dude, getting into my as favorite. long as this one is, the next one's gonna be at least twice that. My God. I'm really thinking about doing it in two parts, but we might just we might just go for five hours, who knows? But <laughs> I don't know. Um so like I said, thanks for coming on. It was fun. Um do you want to plug pleasure. anything? We need to we need to do this uh where at the end um, I kind of do the promoting at the end and not the beginning. I know a lot of people do it at the beginning, but yeah. I want to hop right into the content content and, um, you know, be on topic quicker and just get into it and start having fun instead of just doing the boring stuff. So at the end, you know, I've been, I've been promoting the pod, but, um, anything you want to plug and then I'll promote some stuff. Uh, I mean, I have a YouTube channel that I haven't, I've been inconsistent because i never really tried to figure out exactly like what kind of niche i want to fill but i think i finally figured it out i have some videos i want to work on but i uh i had more videos on my channel but then i took a lot of them down i kind of wanted to start from scratch so um you could check out my channel um do do our names uh show up in the exported video um, I don't believe so. I'll put it in the description, of course. Okay, yeah, well, uh, Tony Quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, -N. uh, that's not my full name, that's a approximation. That's the westernized version of my full name. If you can guess what my full name is based on that, uh, you'll get absolutely nothing, but you'll feel smart. Um, you'll get some death sticks. I don't want... I don't want to sell you Destiny. Um, yeah, so that's my channel. Um, I'm not going to say I'm working on anything because I don't want to announce stuff until I have stuff to announce. But uh, As it should be. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, unfortunately, uh, you could follow me on TikTok with the same username. I just post random stuff on there, but I've kind of started to pivot towards like specifically talking about like movies and games and stuff instead of just random crap uh so watch me on there until it possibly gets banned forever because it's all they just banned it in i think montana really yeah but um we truly sorry. live in a society i'm sorry <laughs> this is how democracy ends with thunderous applause <laughs> Man, Star Wars really just <laughs> predicts everything, the future. Um, so that's uh, that's your plugs. I'll have everything in the description. So the Senate podcast, though, uh, go to YouTube and Spotify. I prefer Apple Podcasts. That's what I use. But um, YouTube and Spotify are the largest. Um, Apple Podcasts is up there, but Spotify and YouTube will have videos. Uh, we're on everything else. Um they're not as prominent though. Usually I plug them all. Um, but really it's just going to be Apple podcast, Spotify, YouTube, but you can check out everything else as well. We're pretty much on everything. Cause that's what our host does. It sends us out to all those RSS feeds. Um, 
Also, Linktree in the description. Go there if you want to find anything easily. So with that, thanks for coming on. Uh, may the force be with you. I'll beat you to it. Now you got to figure out something, and then we'll end it. Throw a fast one at you. Luminous beings, are we not this crude matter? We'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs>